Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have a very special episode with an amazingly talented individual, Mr. Vin Jang, who is a highly regarded international keynote speaker, an entrepreneur, a magician, and a master in teaching communication skills. Vin's passion for magic and self-taught business skills lifted his family out of poverty and into a top-tier income bracket. An award-winning entertainer, an international keynote speaker, an entrepreneur, and a co-founder and director of Encyclopedia of Magic, an online magic school that instructs over 41,000 students per year. Additionally, he is the CEO of Luminary Productions, where he coaches a select few businesses and leaders, teaching them how to compete on an emotional level. The son of Vietnamese refugees, Vin learned from a very young age to take adversity head on. His father worked double shifts at a factory while his mother and sisters were dedicated every available inch of their backyard to farming so that they could earn extra money selling produce to the local supermarkets. Vin quickly embarked on his own adventures, from buying things on eBay to selling them to classmates for twice as much and then contracting school bullies to collect payments for any customers that owed him money. Just six months short of completing his degree in accounting, Vin decided to take a leap of faith and do the scariest thing that he could imagine. He told his parents that he was giving up school to pursue a career as a magician and entrepreneur. Needless to say, his father was not happy that his son wanted to be the next Harry Potter, but after three years of hard work, Vin's magic tutorial website began to take off winning him the prestigious South Australian Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2013. The business has since joined forces with 52 Cards, a leading US-based online magic school. Together, the two organisations will instruct an estimated half a million students per year. In recent years, Vin's speaking career has exploded due to his unique ability to seamlessly interweave the principles of magic, business and success. Pre-pandemic, Vin spent 80% of his time traveling from continent to continent, performing and presenting one-of-a-kind business keynotes about building confidence, boosting presentation skills, facing fears, problem-solving, and pushing limits. During the pandemic, Vin turned his skill sets to creating online programs for many of his clients, specifically for the company's learning management systems, which one of his key clients, being Microsoft, where he's created an internal communication program for them. Other key clients of note have been Facebook, LinkedIn, Zoom, Merck, and many, many more. In this episode, Vin and I touch on his journey from being a magician to becoming an international keynote speaker and his strong belief that life is a miracle and we should not take it for granted. We also deep-dived into the story of his family, his thoughts on entrepreneurship and building a successful brand, how to overcome imposter syndrome, his definition of what great communication is, some tips and tricks on becoming a better communicator, self-awareness and reflection, and how to manage fear. I know you're absolutely going to love this chat, 
And if you would like to learn more about some of the other great and amazing speakers and leaders that we've had on the Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump on our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out on the Creating Synergy podcast on all the podcast outlets. Cheers. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco and today we have Vin Jang on the show. Hello. Welcome to the show, mate. Thank you for having me. I see this wall of pictures of incredible people you've had and now there's this guy from Salisbury North. <laughs> It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've lowered the bar uh, no, so I could get uh, in. I, yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I think your modesty is coming through there a little bit. Oh, thank, gosh. thank you very much. I've been following you for uh, for many years now, probably about five or six years, which is… I can't believe you've been following me for that long. Which is strange to have you it's, in this room and be chatting to you for me. Yeah, okay. You know, I, I've actually watched a couple of your YouTube videos where you've gone and targeted people and I've, kind of ta- <laughs> I've, ta- I've gone and taken the same approach with you. So, I love it. Uh, Thank you very much for being here. You've taken on board my stalking skills. It's, it's <laughs> well, good. I respect that. I respect that. You use my own things against me. It's brilliant. Now yeah. we've got to be friends, right? Like, this is the way it works. Isn't that what you say? So, uh, no. When, when, you, when you get to, when you're over at my house for dinner, that's when I'll fully respect you. <laughs> Done. I'll be there next week. I'll book out the calendar. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> So I just want to kick off the show. There is something, there is a story that I really love that you've told previously. Okay. Um, and it's it's the story of your of your old man, of your dad, mm. where he talks about the simple concept of life is a miracle. Yeah. Can we jump into that story? Because that sets a really good foundation of who is Vin and where, where have you come from? My dad's story starts in Vietnam. And... Just the number of times my dad nearly died. Mm. So my, my, whole, my grandmother on my father's side, she has seven children. Mm. And she only had enough money at the start of the war to try to send one child away. And that was my dad. Yeah, so well. my dad, first of all, and I've never told this before, but my dad had the opportunity to leave. So my grandma gathered all the money and at the time it was gold. And then she gave my dad the gold to give to this person in the neighborhood that was escaping Vietnam on a boat. So my dad gets on that boat. They don't get two hours out. The boat falls apart. Oh, wow. And people die. My dad kind of drifts back to shore, doesn't make it. All the gold's gone. Oh, no. So then he comes home and, and he almost died. And that was my dad's first kind of encounter with death. And then he has another encounter. And again, during while they're escaping the war and there was a trap that the Viet Cong would lay. And that's, you know, the traps you see in the war movies now where it's the bamboo all sharp. My dad falls into one of those with his younger brother he's holding in his arms and he falls into it, but they just haven't laid the trap yet. Huh. He survived again. And so, so my dad has, I could just go on this forever because my dad's told me a thousand times these yeah. stories, but he always has, has these encounters with death and the craziest part is he survives them all. So to him, not only is it a miracle that he's alive right now, because again, if you talk about conception and the whole fact that to even be conceived is one in a billion or whatever it is, he then dodged death all these times. That's amazing. More than this, they finally got on the boat, get to Australia, survive getting through Thailand pirates and everything. So to him, life is a miracle. Yeah. And then I am born here in 86. Yeah. So I, 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 I dodged all of that. And then now I'm here. So in, in a way, if my dad passed away or died at any of those points, 
I would have would not have existed. No. So his luck is my luck. Yeah. And that's why I take on this approach. You know, life is a miracle. I had a anniversary dinner with my wife. Congratulations. I think I, I yeah, thank you. How, I, how, how long? Six years. Yeah. Six years and been together 12 years. Yeah. And I asked uh, just a question at the end of the night. I said, how was the last 12 years? Six years married, 12 years together. Yeah. How was the last 12 years? And she goes, none of it was boring. <laughs> and I love that she said yeah. that. Because part of life being a miracle to me is that you, we're not here for very long. Mm. You've got to make it fun. You've mm. got to make it an adventure. It doesn't mean the adventures are always great, but you've just got to make it worthwhile, not only for your own sake, but for the sacrifices that everybody else before you has made. Mm. I mean, do you, yeah. do you feel like that grit, determination and resilience that you got from your old man has been passed through and and that's just sort of seeping through your blood right now. Is that kind of where that zest for life comes from? Is knowing that you've come from refugees, mm. parents who are refugees to living a life where, you know, I mean Australia is one of the luckiest countries yeah, in the world. Heaven on earth, man. Yeah. It really is. Absolutely. Yes. And it comes through the stories that he's told me that has made up who I am. Mm. I thought a lot about this because I think, you know, I didn't go through those experiences. No. So, so why does it impact me so much? You know, I didn't live through the war. I didn't nearly die because of the war. And, and, and so I've always thought, I mean, it's not genetic memory, but no. what the hell is it? And the more I think about it, the more I start to understand what makes us up as people. As uh, What is your identity? Mm. My identity is made up of stories that I tell myself. It's the, from those stories, I form values. And from those values, I'm able to extract certain beliefs about what's possible and what's not possible. But it all starts with stories. Yeah. And when I was young, my dad filled my head with stories. Stories of adversity, story of overcoming hardships, stories of poverty. So I'm made up of those stories. So the foundation is set, isn't it? It's, really? Yes. So my dad telling me the story since I was young that you can go from nothing it's just starting again in your late 20s, starting again with nothing in mm. a country, don't, not even speaking the, the language, then to being able to build a life that was great. Mm. I mean, we weren't abundant when I was young, but it was still amazing. Yeah. But to do that, that was the story I was fed. So you can do that. You, you, you can escape a war, survive. Yeah. And so, so, so that whole idea of anything is possible. So the door was open. Yeah, my mind was fully open. Yeah. Because my dad would always tell me, see what we've been able to do. Mm. Nothing to this, halfway across the world to this. So then all of a sudden for me, that was a part of my DNA because it was stories that I've been fed already. Yeah. See, that's the importance I think of, you know, what, what stories are we feeding ourselves? What story do you feed yourself? What mm. stories are you keeping and replaying in your head? Because in my head, I replay that story a lot. So then a lot of gratitude comes from that. Yeah. And a lot of grit comes from that. Because mm. I kind of, you know, that's a part of me. Mm. But it's also very easy for me to play a different story, one of hate. And this still happens a lot in my community. When they think back to Vietnam, they think, oh, you know, you know damn these people. They, there's so much hate still. Mm. So I could play that story and then I'd be very different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. It's do, just, you, yeah. do you pass on those same sort of stories to your son now? I do, but lightly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's – 
Because I'm just thinking as a father, yeah, I really believe in the idea of stories and telling and educating through stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but picking and choosing which are the right ones and really understanding how much you can go all in and <laughs> what to hold back. And Yeah, my dad didn't hold a lot yeah. back. It's pretty savage, <laughs> you know. The stories were very… And, and is, that, yeah. is that the answer then or do we need to… Be, like, <laughs> I mean, you turned out okay, yeah? Well, no, but, but, but the thing is, it, it seems a bit strange for me to be telling my dad's stories through me. It's like, oh, you know how hard your grandpa, you know, had to get through the war. It, it doesn't feel as authentic, right? Because it's my, it was my dad's story. My stories are different. My stories, the ones that I do talk to my kids and even my, my nieces and nephew about, are when I struggled starting my business. Mm. and how I had to battle with being demonized by my own Vietnamese community because I took a path that was less common. Yeah. So, so my stories are different. Mm. The struggles are different. And because I connect with those stories more, I tell them those stories. Mm. You know, I don't tell them the stories of you know, dodging bullets, running through the jungle at 2 a.m. in the morning with a yeah. three-month-old bear. Like I, I, I've heard them. They make up who I am. But I think, again, if I'd say it one more time, and I, it, it's kind of like Chinese whispers. It loses its… Yeah, but I think that's yeah. the, the, the power of storytelling. Well, I let right? my dad tell it. Yeah, well, that's Yeah, right. I let my dad tell it. They can you, get it from my dad. Want, but again, it's not really PG when my dad tells it. <laughs> no, it's, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Wait till he's a few years old. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. how old is Xander now? Four. Four, yeah. <laughs> so I'll wait keep, another 12 years. years yeah. And, yeah. Brilliant. So talking about your career path, and you mentioned… Uh, you, you have you often joke about it in a lot of your keynotes about yeah. how you've not taken the traditional Asian <laughs> path of the accountant. prophecy. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah prophecy. the prophecy. It's real, Daniel. <laughs> don't don't laugh. Yeah, many Asian kids suffer still today. Yeah. So yeah. what are the three? What are the three? There's more than three. I mean, there's there's a doctor, there's yeah. the lawyer, there's yeah. an accountant, there's a pharmacist. Yeah, that oh, yeah. was very very popular. The pharmacist during the early two thousands, <laughs> and then now since the now it's harder to get a job as a pharmacist. They're like, oh. Oh, not pharmacy anymore. It's, you know, back to the original three. Yeah, there you go. But, that, so you, so well, but, but there's, there's a deeper reason behind that. Yeah. It's because refugees, they've known a lot of adversity. Mm. So what they starve is security. Mm. So they push their children into these different areas because of security. Yeah. Yeah. And we're blinded by security. Yeah. That's, that's what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And our parents often pass on those insecurities, don't they? It, it's... A isn't that true also for yeah. the Italian community? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm living it. Yeah. Right. So you decided to go completely the other direction and become a magician. Yeah. What what where did the love of magic come from? It came from wanting attention. Okay. Yeah. I think at a deeper level, you know, it's kind of having time to think about it now, being in my mid-30s, it, it came from growing up and having just no attention as a kid. Not getting a lot of attention, always being invisible, always being ignored. Are you and, the only child? No, I've no. got a younger brother younger too. Brother. Yeah. And I I just wanted attention and I didn't know how to get it. And, and magic, in a way, it's the most fraudulent way to get attention. It's the cheapest way mm. to get attention because you're not actually magic. You can't actually do magic yeah. and you're, you're tricking people into thinking you're amazing and yeah. then you get the attention. So to me, I was like, well, what a brilliant shortcut. <laughs> this is amazing. So yeah. then I just went all into it and it came from a, it's kind of a, you know, kind of sad, tragic truth, but I just, I lacked confidence. I wanted attention and it was the fastest way to get attention. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but one, I think where you would have learned so many 
great truths. Yeah. Well, the craft itself taught me so much. That, that I think the, the, so the, the dedication, yes, the ap- application, mm-hmm. all the above. Well, to be astonishing takes work. Correct. Yeah. It, it taught me that if you want something really magical, it's going to take a shitload of work. Yeah. Yeah. And it also taught me that there's a lot of average in this world. Mm. There's a lot of average. But to truly, because again, in the world of magic alone, right, there's, you know, if you do a trick and someone goes, oh, you're, 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 that's what a trickster. That means you haven't evolved to become a magician yet, mm. right? To become a magician, to create something truly astonishing, you have to practice for so hundred thousands of hours so that when you're doing your sleight of hand, they can't see what you're doing. Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. I have to find a moment. I, I, uh, I could show you some sleight of hand yeah, at some point. Be, I've watched yeah. some of your videos. So, uh, <laughs> okay, that's but awesome. It's, um, yeah, if you could teach me something that I could amaze my kids with, I'd be happy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I should have brought this for you. Yeah. I'll check my bag. <laughs> the, the grappling of, of, of working with your parents or helping your parents understand that you were going to take this route, how did you, how did you go down that path? <laughs> the thing that convinced them the most was money. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Because, again, fear, scarcity, right? Yeah. So, to me, I remember the first time I got my first gig uh, doing a, a local networking function here in South Australia. Yeah. And it was for two hours, two-hour networking function. And I quoted the client uh, $2,500. And they were like, $1,500. I was like, done. I'll take it. <laughs> I didn't realize I could charge that much. <laughs> and then I did the networking function. Two hours made 1500 bucks. Yeah. And I brought it home. And I thought, you know what? This isn't enough to show my parents yet. So I kept going. I did this for about a month and I got $10,000. Yeah, so wow. I showed them I made $10,000 working about six nights. It blew my parents away. Yeah. And from that point, I saw their mind open. Yeah. Because I knew that I, sure, I could sit down and talk to them. Hey, let me do what I love. But one, one of the things I learned from a classic book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, oh it's brilliant, right? So if you're going to go fishing. <laughs> I'm looking at Gabs because... Like, yeah, well, it's the number one book I recommend. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the number one I recommend, but, but I think it's still amazing. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, one of the things I remember from that book so vividly is if you go fishing, are you going to put beef brisket on the hook to yeah. try to catch fish? That's my favorite kind yeah. of thing. Uh, no, no, you'd put on worms, right? And I remember this lesson so vividly. So when you go fishing, use the bait for the very thing that you want to catch. Correct. And I wanted to catch my parents' approval. Yeah. So I wasn't going to use doing what I love. and Because to them, they can't understand that. No. Because they go, I didn't do what I love in my life. I worked my ass off to put you through school. What are you talking about? Do what you love. No, do what makes money. Yeah. Right? So to me, I had to speak their language. Their yeah. language was money, right? Yeah. So then I thought, okay, how can I do this? And I proved it to them. And then that's when their minds started to open. They go, well, well, instead of doing this six times a month, can you do it? T- can you do it twenty times a month? And I was like, well, yeah, you can. But I need to build a website. Can, I need to do all these things. Can right? I be your manager? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take a cut. Oh, they've taken a big cut, my friend. But it's just, it's just so. It just took time. Yeah. To not get so wrapped up in my own world and go, why are my parents not supporting me? Why don't they love me? What? But to sit down and go, really think about this and put myself in their shoes and go, ma'am, my parents don't speak this language. They don't understand this new world that we live in. Mm. They barely know how to use the internet. I need more empathy. I need more understanding in my heart to try to reach out to these two people who love me with everything. But because of this inability to communicate because we live in different worlds, 
I need to take the time to build a bridge from my world to their world. Mm. And it starts with speaking their language. Absolutely. Right. And, and, and I don't mean that my parents are not money hungry monsters, but, but that's the language that they knew. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the beginning of everything. I use, it's, yeah. I use a common uh, thought process of, you, you know, the old saying, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Yeah. And I actually believe that that's a fallacy. I, I believe it's treat others the way they want to be treated. I believe that too. That's it, a 2.0. Yeah. yeah. 1.0 is good, but yeah. 2.0 is better. 2.0 is better. Yeah. How old were you when, when you went through this process? And, and Early we, 20s. Yeah. So who, who introduced you to the world of reading books on personal development? My uncle, Carr. So I've got an uncle who's not an actual vehicle, but his name is Carr. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, can you imagine? He's a Tesla. <laughs> yeah, I've got an uncle. Yeah, we've, uh, this, this is the point of the podcast. You're like, I think this guy's crazy. <laughs> So um, my, my uncle Carr is one of the youngest uncles, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's a Toyota Hilux. <laughs> that would be so brilliant. But my, my uncle, he, all, my dad and his brothers, they all worked really hard together yeah. to help support Carr through university. <laughs> yeah. So I got, those guys not thinking about- yeah, Just call him uncle, right? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah just uncle Michael, <laughs> uncle Toyota. And they put him through university to study yeah. pharmacy. Yeah, great. And the crazy thing is it took him eight years to complete a four-year degree. And all the brothers were like, why are you failing every year once? It's very was, expensive. Oh, so we didn't do it part-time. It was- No, it was because he failed every year. And, and, and this is so enduring because, you know, I look at it, I'm like, what, what's going on here, right? And he goes, well, I didn't even know the language. Yeah. And that was the crazy thing. Yeah. I would have failed it 10 times every year. Yeah. But he goes, because oh, I didn't know the language. I had to learn the language while I was learning everything else. Mm. So it's incredibly inspiring. So the brothers worked hard so that at the end of his degree, when he came out, you know, they were able to support him. And, and then he, he put together a pharmacy, built a pharmacy. So he was an in, incredibly inspiring uncle of mine because mm. he was the only one that made it through the tertiary education system that was very westernized. And he was the one that always read. When he owned his pharmacy, he, he, he worked hard to ensure that every morning he doesn't have to come into work to 11. And that's because from seven to 11, he would read. Yeah, wow. Read about, uh, you know, strategies on how to build a property portfolio, mm. commercial property. And, and when I was about 14, the first book he gave me was How to Win Friends and Influence People and The Magic of Thinking Big. I didn't read those books at 14. I was like, mm. eh, nah. Yeah. But he worked so hard that he would come over to our, our, my house, my cousin's places, because he didn't have children at the time. He saw all his nephew and nieces as his kids. Because he felt so indebted to his brothers. And he goes, the best way to give back to my brothers is to the children. Mm. So he'd come over Thursday nights all the time and go, so tell me, what did you learn from chapter one? And I was like, ah, uh, <laughs> and I didn't do it. I didn't yeah. read it. But he kept coming. Yeah, He kept coming. So then it, it forced me. I went, oh, I have to because my dad was getting upset. So yeah. I started reading the books. <laughs> and I started, you know, at the age of 15, yeah, consuming wow. these books. Didn't, I didn't understand them though. Yeah. But they were in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. They were just in my brain. And I, and I mean, the simple lesson, I remember the book, you know, don't criticize other people. Mm. You know, appreciate people. I started doing that at school. Mm. I remember starting to tell my teachers I, I appreciated them. And to them, I was like, what? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel like I, it was introduced to me later in my life. Mm. I reckon I was about 24 when, okay. I, when I got introduced to the world of self-development. Yeah. And I always have thought to this day, imagine if I had learned this stuff through school. 
Right. Because I you could have become a magician. <laughs> yeah, you might <laughs> have become a magician. Yeah, could have followed. <laughs> Seems like a great path. I, I I feel that in the sense that it it opens your mind to how to that book particularly changed yeah. my life because it all of a sudden became I was a very uh, very pe- I'm a very people person. I love conversations. I love being around people, extroverted mm. by nature, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that book showed me how to treat people. It, mm. it helped me understand how other people might be thinking. Yeah. It, under- it helped me understand how best to uh, work within a situation mm-hmm. uh, if there's conflict or whatever it might be. And it just, you know, sharpened the edges, I, I guess. And yeah. I wonder, yeah, I've always wondered that, what, what it would be like. So, you're, te- you're, you're obviously a testament to that, that you started reading and, and did you just continue reading personal development no. books from that? Book? No. I no. mean, if my uncle didn't come on a Thursday, I wouldn't read the chapter yeah. that was assigned. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I was the normal kid. But once you was- started, did you then just consume... No, I didn't. No? It was it was a discipline that my uncle enforced. Okay, there you go. Yeah, it wasn't something that I was in because I didn't see the benefits from it yeah, at that yeah. age. I, I, oh, probably, I didn't know how to recognize the benefits. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I again, I, I think as a young male, I mean, all I was thinking was I want a Toyota Supra. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I was thinking about, man. That's <laughs> all I cared about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true, Japanese. I got to get a Velside body kit, eighteen inch chrome rooms. Yeah, that's all and I the cared chem- about. Chameleon body paint. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no, that's no. That must be an Italian thing. <laughs> yeah. Right? I didn't care about any of that. Yeah. But I was being fed medicine. I was being developed. I was being improved without even knowing. Now, yeah. th- but there was a split off point. So I hung out with a group of guys when I was young that probably wasn't very good for me because mm. these guys were into some pretty bad stuff. Mm. What saved me was this one point where obviously the self development had been working its way through my mind where it gave me enough awareness to go. Wait, I I actually don't think I should be spending time with these guys. Now, this wasn't my parents saying it. This wasn't my uncle saying it. But the books have made me realize the importance of the people you spend time with. Yeah. And I went, what am I doing? And I remember this, I was about 18. And these were, these, you know, these were my boys yeah. when I was 18. You know, all you care about when you're teens is your friends, you know. Yeah. And I left my tribe. Hmm. That would have been hard. No, it actually wasn't. Because I'd realized where they were headed. Mm. And it actually wasn't hard leaving the tribe because I'd become a very different person by the time I left. Mm. They felt my distance. It's like, you know how they say, you you, you leave a a relationship emotionally six months before you've left generally. So a lot of the times when guys leave a relationship, they they don't feel anything anymore because I left emotionally six months ago. I left that friendship group six months before, years before. And it was crazy because I only left because I'd become a different person through consuming all of these different lessons and stories. Mm. If my uncle didn't give me those books, I wouldn't have become a different person. I would have stayed a certain person and stayed on with that group. Mm. So it's, it helped me make better decisions, that being one of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It was, it was, I mean, to think back, it's scary. If I didn't, I'd be a very different person right Sliding now. Sliding door moment. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? I would have had the chameleon. Yeah. Maybe I could have lived a better life. I, mean, hey, well, I could have been more successful well, in life. I mean, yeah. I think that in an actually well, multiple universe theory there, will, mm, that might be happening somewhere else. Well, I could be happier and yeah. more fulfilled. 
Well, <laughs> I, 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 I would highly doubt that. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you're obviously yeah. you're doing the right thing. It sounds like. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, curious about the importance that magic played in your growth towards your keynote speaking, your entrepreneurship, and and you know, because you talk about things like showmanship, you talk yeah. about things like sight, sound, sync. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Talk to us about. Well. The question is, right, what has magic done for me? How, how, what lessons has it taught me? Right. And I, I can definitely talk about the showmanship area as well. And, but magic has just opened my mind to the possibilities. Mm. I remember seeing a magician named Raymond Crow. I don't know if you – he's a pretty famous Adelaide magician that's yeah. made it on the global stages. Yeah. But he used to busk in yeah. Ronald Moore. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing him for the first time. And he did this trick where he made this card float. And it was just like floating around him, flying around, and you'd catch it. And I was like, what? Because I had certain rules for reality. And my rules for reality is that, well, you can't make something float. You can't make something disappear from one hand and reappear in another hand. You can't make cards come out of your mouth. These defied the rules <laughs> of reality. Yeah. So then magic opened my mind in a sense. So, so wait, so you can bend rules. Mm. In re- well, you can bend the rules of reality. So at a very foundational and almost philosophical level, magic opened my mind to the possibilities of what this life could give you. Mm. And then I later found Tim Ferriss. Oh. And he, he sums my whole experience with magic in a short sentence. Reality is negotiable. I love that. So magic taught me that reality was negotiable. Mm. So I could negotiate whatever reality that I wanted. And once you open that can of worms, you can't put them back, Daniel. You mm. can't. So when you show me cards can float and you can make things vanish, you can't tell me that that world does not exist now. So to me, at a, at a really deep kind of cognitive level, it opened up my brain to the possibilities of what this life could be. Because all that, that this life could be for me at the time was, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to become a pharmacist because my uncle has a pharmacy and he has aspirations to have a chain of pharmacies and my dad's in on that. And so that was the path for me. I didn't dare to stray from that. Mm. Which Be- would have been a relatively successful path. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. But, but to me, is it a fun path no. for, for me? Yeah. No, not really. It's not a fun path. So that, at a foundational level, opened my mind to the possibilities of, <laughs> I hope your listeners are not lactose intolerant, but this is very <laughs> cheesy. It's just it opened my mind up to the magical life that we could live. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we could genuinely live a very magical life if only we would open our minds and see it. Another great quote from a psychologist, don't remember his name, but it's rather a mind open by wonder than one that is closed by belief, negative belief. Yeah. So I've always wanted to keep an open mind and magic just opened my mind and made me see that this life, this reality is negotiable. Mm. And some people never negotiate anything because they feel so trapped by the rules of reality that they've created themselves. Yeah, and the people's perception. Yes, on, yeah. on them. So that's at a very deep level. Yeah. That's how it's changed my life. No, that's perfect. Yeah. Did you, at what point did you think about turning your magic into a keynote career? Like where did mm. that come in? Because your yeah. communication skills are amazing and you obviously speak and are an expert in all things communication. Talk to us about that journey from from your getting up on stage as a, a magician into I'm actually now teaching and educating. Okay. Well, it starts at, at the Fringe, at the Adelaide Fringe. Oh, great. So I started doing the Adelaide Fringe since 2013. 
And performing magic and just magic, it was exciting at the start. But after a while, the applause started to feel empty for me. Right, there's a beautiful Doris Day song about you know empty applause, right? And, and it just felt empty. And it felt empty because you're clapping for something that I, I'm not really able to do. Mm. Okay? So you think, <laughs> you think I'm reading your mind and you think I'm able to read your body language cues and I'm able to do it. No, I just have a really expensive device that I've purchased and this is just technology you don't yet understand. <laughs> is right? it that simple? Yeah, well, yeah. it often is, yeah, right? Okay. Well, well, magic is the simplest solution. Yeah. Uh, it's just that the simplicity fools you because you're naturally complex. Yeah. You, you, we, we tend to think things are more complex yeah. because then we can use complexity as the reason for not doing something. Ah. Yeah, that's a deeper thing Self we can go into. Well, it is because when we look at someone who's successful, we go, oh, that's too hard. I can't do it. They yeah. can. So human beings love to assume complexity because if I assume complexity, that's a great reason for not doing it. Yeah. I Be can't do this because there's a million reasons. But, because if, but, but in reality, if it's super simple, you're in trouble now yeah. because then you have to do it. Yeah. We don't want to, right? So, okay. So, back to that. So, then I started doing all these pieces of magic on stage and then I went, oh, man. You know, thank you for the applause, but I'm not actually that amazing. You're giving me this false applause. So, then it started to feel empty for me. And don't get me wrong. Magicians who perform, look, I, I, very respectable craft, making people smile, making people laugh, very noble. But for me, it wasn't enough. Mm. And I did it for three years at the Adelaide Fringe. We started getting bigger and bigger, but the more successful we became, the bigger the theaters we got, the more tickets we sold the more dissatisfied I became. And I remember at the peak of this brand that myself and Matt Tarrant, a local magician here, brilliant magician that we created, I said to him, hey man, I'm gonna part ways. I don't wanna do this anymore. And I remember he, he was gutted because we'd built this amazing brand that came back year after year with a better show. But I had, I had to walk away because I just didn't feel it anymore. Mm. And that's when I knew I needed more. I didn't want just applause. I wanted impact more than just entertaining you for an hour. I, I wanted longer lasting impact. So that's when I went, oh, this speaking thing is amazing because I can entertain you, but I can also educate and I can inspire you. So there's so many things I can do here mm. as opposed to just entertain. And that's when I went down the path of, ah, can I combine magic? And can I combine it with yeah. speaking? Well, you're on the stage already. Yeah, well, I was comfortable on the stage. That's, it was my home. That, that's exactly right. And you now just add to your show by educating. Yeah, but it wasn't that simple. The first time I combined magic with a keynote, it was shit. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really is that, shit. Yeah. Is that the story where you came off stage? Yeah, yeah I went off stage <laughs> and the CEO goes, have you done this before? I was like, no, I haven't. Yeah, I actually haven't. And, and dude, I refunded that guy's money. So the story was, I got paid two and a half grand for this gig. Yeah. Flew to Sydney for a building association gig. Got off stage. I think everyone was like, what the hell did we just watch? <laughs> because it was me going, here's a magic trick. Here's a lesson that has nothing to do with the magic trick that I don't fully believe that uh, I just read somewhere that I thought was brilliant. Oh, no. So again, there was, there so was, you didn't correlate it. It didn't correlate it. There was no authenticity to it. It was just kind of me vomiting what somebody else said, <laughs> regurgitating it. There's a lot of that going around. Oh, I, well, yeah, there is. There is. And sometimes I still fall victim to doing this. So I'm not immune to this. Like, yeah. I still regurgitate a lot of stuff. Yeah. In a way, we're all like bees because yeah. <laughs> they vomit. Yeah. yeah. You know that harmony. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I just learned that recently. I was quite disgusted by it. I was like, wait. We're eating bee yeah, vomit? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No, I've, I still like it though. Yeah, me too. I still <laughs> like it too. Uh, so I, I was doing that. Yeah. And put no thought into it. 
And I refunded the money that I got paid because I felt sick in my stomach. I just couldn't stomach well, it. Were, were you not concerned for your brand at that point, refunding money? Didn't have a brand at that point, well, so okay. I had no concern just, for it. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, you did, but from the, more the mag- magic, the, side. magic side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the magic brand hurt me when I was trying to move into the corporate yeah, market. Yeah, okay. Because, oh, then we, we've already got a comedian coming for that dinner, um, after dinner slot, so we don't need a magician. And I was like, no, no, but I want to be this. I want to be the speaker. He goes, oh, yeah, no. So it actually worked against so me. So you had a hurdle to jump. Yeah. But at, deep, at another kind of deeper level from a business standpoint, magic taught me the importance of being unique. Mm. So I, I didn't know the, the, the importance of, you know, your unique value proposition, right, yeah. in the world of entrepreneurship. Magic taught that to me. Yeah. So I thought, ah, oh, by adding magic, I can become extremely unique. But unique at the start when you don't understand how to be unique in your own unique way mm. was damaging. Because I was seen as just a magician. Mm. So I actually had to completely forego a career in the world of magic. I had to go online and clean up my online blueprint. You couldn't find me. You couldn't book me as a magician anymore. Yeah, well. I had to sacrifice that path to open this new door. Because so when people Googled me, they oh, magician. No. So that's scary from a security point of well, view. Well, because I spent <laughs> yeah. seven, eight years building this Ab- brand as being a magician. Absolutely. So I had to clean it up within 12 months. And that was... That was frightening, but also aligned. Yeah. Because I was no longer getting a lot of fulfillment from it. And there's this Tarzan thing, right? For Tarzan to get from one branch to the next, he has to let go of the existing branch. Yeah. Otherwise, you will never get the other branch. That's true. So there's a point where you're going to have to let go of the branch. And, and to me, the time was up. Was right. I needed yeah. to let go. Otherwise, I'll just keep swinging on this branch and it's gradually going to snap and it's a long way to fall. Mm. Yeah. I remember the day I stepped out. The, and you let go of the branch? Yeah, I walked oh. out of the office. Tell, tell me about it. Well, I walked out of the office for the last day um, in, in to pursue this business. It was mm. in 2018. And I just, I remember literally pushing the door open and breathing the air in and going, I'm on my own now. And it was scary. So have, did you tell the boss at this yeah, point or was yeah, this just yeah. you I, internally? I had I had resigned oh, and wow. I just remember the day. I yeah. actually, you know, when you talk about uh, being aware in, in the moment, walking out of the doors, this, you know, the, the revolving, it was literally the revolving, <laughs> literally revolving, the revolving door. door. God, it's like the, a movie. Yeah, for the last time out into the world where I was going to, you know, pursue my own business. Yeah. Was... was and enlightening and and the scariest moment of my life in the same in the same moment it was why because you know put put on your big boy pants now right you're responsible for you now i'm responsible for me and your family yeah absolutely two mm. young kids Oof. in in the middle of building a, a new home like all of the above i just literally walked out at a at a time and and took a punt but um why did you do it if the risks were so high I just couldn't work for anyone anymore. I needed to be a master in my own domain. I had to be able to create and I was being stifled where I was. So mm. that was uh, – I, I just had this – I have this obsession of creating a community of like-minded people. It's similar to what you, you're you doing, right? And I mm. think that's why we connect is that it's, it really is about giving and offering and working together and I where I was before didn't – Give me that fulfillment. So, but I love that you weren't getting it where you were, so you went out and created it. Yeah, as absolutely. opposed to accept that I'm never going to be able to Correct. do it. Correct. 
Yeah, I that was well, that accepting wasn't an option because you could feel it either yeah, way. Yeah, but for some people, accepting is an option. Well, Why isn't it an option? Well, I think for you? it goes back to your comment of not <laughs> seeing the possibilities, and, right. you know, being having a closed door, being scared with failure. I mean, you know, the growth mindset sort of stuff. Yeah, failure is not an option for some people, but for me, I had a family. Like, if I was to go out and start a business mm-hmm. and um, and fail mm. and I'd have, what's the worst that can happen? I moved back in my mum and dad's house who live at Grange, right? Like ne- <laughs> That's ne- pretty ne- nice. Yeah, now, down you should the- actually do that. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> no, fantastic. No, I did that while I was building. I'll never do that oh, again. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I think like that for me was the, the worst case scenario. Full flat on my not, feet and not. I walk back into a home that's going to have a beautiful home-cooked meal every single night. So Bloody hell brilliant. It would be a massive hit to the ego. Yeah. But not so bad in, in retrospect. No, not really when yeah. you compare C- correct, what yeah. others go through. Exactly. So you 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 had good perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, you didn't paint this false picture that created fear. I love this quote where they say fear is just terrible use of your imagination. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you you didn't use your imagination to paint a terrible picture. Yeah. You, yeah well, fantastic. fear is 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 thinking about something that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, I've I I, I never uh I do, look, that, and that's not to say that I wasn't absolutely shitting myself. Yeah. Like I was, I was worried and concerned, and but it's one of those things where I honestly believe if your back's up against the wall, mm. the only way is forward. Like you know, yeah. so just keep moving forward. I, I think also when your back's against the wall, sometimes people fail too. Mm. I, I I don't think it's always. I mean, it's just because I've seen it. Yeah, uh, I. It's funny at the start of my entrepreneurial journey. I was that typical entrepreneur, you know, mm. screaming entrepreneurship from the rooftops. Yeah. Why isn't everyone leaving yeah, their jobs? Yeah, yeah. Come on, guys, let's all quit. Yeah. And that was me. It was terrible. My friends hated it. <laughs> and it was because it was nauseating. <laughs> and I just, because I was like, why is, why isn't that, everyone not doing this? Being in it now for, you know, being on my own now and running my own business and everything. Oh gosh, you know, since 2011 mm. to 10 years now. I'm not as quick to scream that from the rooftops now mm. because I've seen the horrors. Yeah. I, I, the up, I have the ups seen, and downs. Uh, well, not only myself, but I've seen the people around me. Yeah. I've seen people up with their backs against the wall. I've seen people who've then mortgaged their home. I've seen people who've then sold that home and now are still doing terribly. And, and it's one of those interesting things in the world of entrepreneurship where we, we, sing, the, we sing the praise for the su- successes and people who have made it, you know. But we, we don't, we don't talk to those who've lost it all. Mm. And and that's the more common story. Yeah. Which is kind of frightening, man. It, it really yeah, is. Absolutely. And when I was in America, I saw a lot of that. I mean, it's the the land of hopes and dreams, right? Where everyone aspires to be more. But there are a lot of broken dreams and broken people. Mm. And that's I mean, the reality, right? Because it's easy to make this path glorify this path but it's a bloody path man yeah it really is it is yeah and and we're both here sitting here and we've somewhat did okay but man there are a lot of people who didn't well you i mean you like my post recently on linkedin where i said i'm having one of those days yeah yeah right and yeah it it was one of those days where i was possibly having everything went wrong like the moment i woke up in the morning my phone decided just to go white screen and oh, i wow. so you know just and that's not and that's a first world problem but mm. it just snowballed from there yeah and then i and i often say this on on on, on the podcast is 
entrepreneurship is one of those things where you can have the best day and the worst day in the same day, yeah, right? Same hour. In the same hour, correct. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was funny. I had this this day of events where things just and Gab, Gabs was the witness to it all, where things just kept turning for me and going in the wrong direction. And I was just trying to the day will pass, you know, this day will pass, this day will pass. And then at the end of the day, I've got a phone call, it was 4.30 and it was for this tender, big, big project that we'd put in mm. and they, my phone rang and, my, and it, I could see it was the company that was calling me and I went, oh, not today. Like, don't call me today. Please don't call me today. But I answered it and said, hello, Daniel speaking. Daniel, this is such and such. Just want to inform you that you've been successful for winning their tenor. Oh, my and, Yeah. And the so suspense. you can just imagine the oh. elation that went through. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And that's the thing about, wow. the, you know, I, this entrepreneurship world, yeah. well, it's gut-wrenching at times, but some some other times, is, you know, it is the best feeling in the world. Yeah. And and look, it, it's, it's a debate I had with one of my best mates on one of my best mates and I, Ali, we do a podcast as well. We just talk about books. Yeah. And yeah, I know I watch it. I do. And, and he was just <laughs> saying to me, would you rather fives in, in terms of experiences? Would you rather just fives in life or would you trade the fives for nine out of tens? But if you trade it for the nine out of tens, you're going to suffer one out yeah. of tens. So do you want this kind of nice, middle ground through all of life or do you want the ups and the downs and for my mate Ali he goes I'd take the fives really I'd take consistent fives through life and I was like wow that's ridiculous yeah. I'd definitely accept the nines and accept yeah. the ones but for him he's different yeah. and there are many people out there that are yeah. different and to connect this back to what I was saying before I remember my friends saying to me they said hey Vin stop telling me to quit my job man <laughs> yeah I'm not you hmm. and then that's when I egotistical wanker part of me <laughs> but I started to realize that everyone's not me yeah everyone's different and it's okay it is and I learned a very big lesson that day to let other people be themselves yeah stop trying to force your ideologies and your beliefs and values on other people mm. you know it, it drives me insane when I see people who, you know who, who are well-intentioned in the religious realm but they force their religion on others I don't like that yeah but I didn't realize I was forcing the religion of entrepreneurship Onto the people around, yeah, and and it just taught me such a valuable lesson that you're you, and Daniel's Daniel, yeah, and that's okay. I I do that. <laughs> I did that with books, and uh, you're forcing and, books on people. Well, no, oh. well, like, yeah, and learning, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. and you know, the more and more books you picked up, the more and more you learned, the more and more uh, things you realize. Shit, what I learned at my mother's knee is completely not correct, yeah, right? Yeah. And and I now have this whole new vision on the world and the way it works and the way I can apply myself and a new way of thinking. And I was just mm. like, guys, you need to get your hands on this information. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like, it's like when people first get on keto. Yeah. You tell everybody <laughs> yeah. about it. Oh, my God, you found this keto? Oh, my God. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, we, I get it. Because you're learning something new and it was over the years that I realized the more and more I read the, uh, and the more and more I learn and the more and more I, I experience was mm. that the, the the moment needs to find the person. Yeah. And and not the person find the moment. They need to be ready for it. And yeah. I, I believe that even just with the books that I read today, it is yes, I've got a book, but I don't need that whole chapter because I'm not or that whole book, sorry, because I'm not ready for it. Yeah. I'm not ready for it. Yeah, I'm ready true. for that one chapter. That's yeah. it. That's the only bit of learning I can take out of this. So Everyone's gonna. Everyone, like you said, everyone's on their own path. 
and you you have to let people walk that path. Yeah, I, I used to try to think I could, you know, the whole oh save you, you know, but yeah. it's it's not about that. It, I think what you're doing is perfect. <laughs> the Stoics say it right. Mm. There's only two things you can control: your thoughts and your actions. Mm. That's all you have control over. Yeah. So if you want to move others and influence others, these are the only two things you can control. Mm. So you read more, you learn more, you do more. And in doing that, you inspire those around you to do more, read more. And that, that's all you can do. Yeah. Anything outside of your thoughts and your actions, if you think you can control, yeah, that's an illusion. Yeah. That's not real. No. Yeah. You're not magical. No, absolutely not. That's as the, my mum would say. The, yeah. That's the Viktor Frankl quote. Uh, stimulus and response between stimulus and, and response there's a gap and in that gap is choice oh yeah that's good yeah I love it yeah I love that too so your entrepreneurship world so can can we piece back and let's we've digressed and gone down a path here. yeah it's a rabbit hole you started this online magic company was that before you decided to go off and start this world of community uh, speaking no that was kin- before that was before yeah, okay. yeah that was before that was in 2000 and like 2010 yeah wow i started it with a group of friends yeah and that was my first attempt at trying to do something that i enjoyed that gave me money mm. and also brought fulfillment but before that there were a few more attempts yeah okay Right. Said a few failures in between. Oh yeah, I I thought I was going to be the next Kogan. I thought I was going to be the next uh, what's that brand called? I can't remember what they called him. I think it was it wasn't called Charlie Chandler's. Remember that oh, electronics yeah, yeah, store? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was super inspired by that when I was really young because they sold you know the Backstreet Boys yeah. and Britney Spears albums that were I loved yeah, it. Yeah. And I walked into this electronics store and went, oh, I want to I want to own an electronics store because then I could buy all the CDs, I'd get yeah. all the latest computers, and so. I asked my dad when I was about 18, I asked him for 50 grand to send me to the Guangzhou Fair in China yeah. so I could see all the electronics there. Mm. Can't believe my dad gave me $40,000 of those 50. Yeah, wow. And I went. So I went with one of my cousins and one of my uncles and I bought half a container, 40 grand worth of electronics back to South Australia. And, you know, Newton Shopping Center? Yeah. They, I couldn't afford to lease an actual shop. Yeah. So I said, give me that corner that nothing is there right now. I'll build a stall in that corner. You can monetize a corner that you don't monetize. And that corner is freaking huge. Yeah. So they gave me that corner for really cheap. Really. Started selling mobile phones, uh, game accessories, Wii accessories. And I was selling stuff there. We were making 11 grand a day. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And then Akbar knocked on our door and we were selling electronics without the the electronic approval. Oh, no. <laughs> so I had, I had $40,000 of stock. We've only been in business for two weeks. Yeah. Unbelievable money. Um, mm. Finally had money to buy my Supra, which was amazing. <laughs> and then I was just like, what the hell's going on? You can't shut us down. You can't, you can't do this. Yeah. So they did. And black market started. Yeah. Not black market. <laughs> Jeps Cross Sunday market started, right? <laughs> and, I was, yeah. and I started selling all these electronics at the Jeps Cross market. And I love Italians. I love Greeks. I love the damn yeah. ethnic community. Why? Because they dress really poor. Yeah. 
And then they come across and they pull out wads of 50s. Yeah, and yeah. like, how much is that? <laughs> and you, you, they pay you $400 cash at yeah. the Sunday markets. I was like, this is... A, we'll, our first Sunday market day, I remember getting there at like 3 a.m. to get the best spot yeah. at the Jeps Cross. And first day, we we're like $17,000, $18,000. Yeah, and I went out and I took all my uni friends. We went for a big feast and went for a big meal. That's hilarious. How much for cash? That's oh, the, yeah. That's how much for cash? gave them a better deal, right? <laughs> yeah. But there's no warranty at the Jeps Cross market, right? So that was great too. <laughs> Once you bought it, no receipt. Oh, and that's what I learned at the age of 18 because the week after this farmer came along and he goes, uh, you know, this TV phone you sold me, uh, all I can get is SBS. And I was like, that's when I learned my first lesson in entrepreneurship of, of having to go, I'm sorry, there's there's, there's no refunds. <laughs> me not speak English. <laughs> yeah, no, I should have bought that one. Yeah, so that, that was, you know, I, I and I did these different ventures to try to find what I wanted. Yeah. And that wasn't what I wanted. I didn't want to do that. So then I stopped that and then I, you know, tried the magic business online. Mm. I I, I kind of enjoyed that, but then the team composition wasn't right. Mm. So then I learned another lesson there that you've got to do it with the right people. Mm. Like you, synergy, right? You've got to have good synergy with people. You've got to have good chemistry with people. So that to me is a huge indicator now with the things that I do. It's one of the seven habits. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And, and, And that's... I always ensure that. If mm. I before I bring someone on my team, how strong is the synergy? Mm. How strong is the chemistry? If it's strong chemistry, technical stuff will work out later. It's yeah. fine. You can upskill, you can learn other stuff. Yeah. But if the chemistry is strong, we're gonna make it. Yeah. This is gonna work. So yeah, the magic business was one of those early journeys where you know, learn a lot of valuable lessons. Yeah. Google AdWords cost us over a hundred grand because I just left it running. Oh no. Oh yeah. Did it help with revenue? No. Because no. <laughs> there were crappy ads. Oh, no. Didn't know how to write good ad copy. Yeah, note to self. Yeah, note to self. Put an end date on Google ads, right? Yeah. And that, that, during that time, they had no comp, you know, they, they weren't they weren't going to go, oh, that's fine. No, we had to pay it. Yeah, wow. We had to pay it. And I did move into my mom and dad's garage. Yeah. And I had my wife now, she was my girlfriend at the time. We lived in my mom and dad's garage, right? We had to buy this portable air conditioner during summer and it was so hot. Yeah, would have been. Right? And I just, I don't know, that's why I love my wife so much, right? Because we suffered through that yeah. and she never complained. Yeah. Never complained. Superstar. What's oh. your wife's name? Pay when. Pay when. Should be pay now. Yeah. Yeah, but it's pay when. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when do you pay? Oh, never. Gotta so, work on that. So, let's <laughs> talk about that transition to the world of keynote. So, you've gone from this yeah. entrepreneurial world did you ever, in those early years, and 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 possibly still now, mm. did you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I felt it last night. Did yeah. Well, well, last night I I was preparing for a session. I was working with Microsoft Middle East. Yeah. Wow. Well. Right. So Microsoft is a massive company, yeah. and and I've kind of I'm 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 in it now, and as so I've done work with Microsoft America, Singapore, yeah. Middle East, and first time doing for Middle East then. Some pretty high-profile people were on that virtual class I was running. Mm. And I sat there and they sent me the list. And I went, no, I shouldn't have looked at the list. <laughs> because now I looked at it, I felt like this was the literal thought that ran through my mind. I'm about to do a session that's magic tricks and Asian jokes. <laughs> yeah. And I psyched myself out. Yeah. I psyched myself yeah, out. And wow. I said, and the content that I'm teaching is like a cat sat on a mat what am I doing? I don't deserve to be here. Mm. And then I had to go inside and needed a pep talk for my wife before I could go in and run it. 
So I suffer from it all the time. Mm. I suffer from all the time. I, I think I'm like everybody else, you know, and, yeah. and I, I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to grow. But because I suffer from imposter syndrome, it's, it's why I'm, I fall victim to the material world. Mm. Right? So you, yeah. I, I'm, aware of, I'm aware of myself mm. in that. And I, and I still do it because I'm like, shit, I, I suffer from this. I'm trying to be better, but I still fall victim to, I, I want the nice watch. I want the nice shoes. I want the nice belt. But when I think at a deeper level, why do I do that? It's because I feel insignificant. Mm. It's because I don't feel like I'm worth it. I don't feel like I, I, I'm worthy. So I have to wear this armor to show people that I'm worthy. So that's my battle that I fight with because I suffer so deeply from imposter syndrome, right? Yeah, I feel we're on the same path. Really? Yeah. Well, you have, you're not at the wearing Gucci shoes point, so you're, you're still fine. <laughs> I'm definitely I, not. Yeah, but like, I, that, but that, see that-, that the, the thing with me with- Clothes, nothing makes me look good. So <laughs> oh, you look good. What are you talking about? You got a I, I beard. Don't, I don't oh. waste my money on that stuff. I buy houses, but because <laughs> way career. better and smarter. <laughs> the Italians have taught you well, my friend. That's right. Your mum would be proud. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, I do. Yeah, I, I suffer well, from that well, and a lot. Well, how yeah. do you? I mean, and especially early in your career, you know, there's this common saying that you know it takes ten years to become overnight success, right? And you uh-huh. you push through the barriers and the the imposter syndrome and the no one clicking on my videos and no one listening to my podcasts and all the above right you had what what helped you push through while getting up on stage and really not believing in yourself yeah okay well two things first thing is i'm not just me i'm my dad mm-hmm. i'm my wife i'm my son i'm my father-in-law I'm, there's a part of you Mm. that's with me now after this session. I'm not just me. So I get a lot of comfort in knowing that what makes me valuable as a human being is not just Vin Jang. Mm. It's all those who've come before me. It's the wisdom that my grandparents have instilled in me. It's the wisdom that my mentors have instilled in me. It's the wisdom that all the books that I've consumed have instilled in me. So what gives me confidence on stage is I'm not standing there alone. I'm standing there with a hundred or more people behind me, you just can't see them. So that makes me feel less imposter syndrome. Your support crew. Yeah, well, because I'm not just me, I'm not self-made. I think if I believed that I was self-made, then yeah, I'd feel a lot of anxiety. Mm. But what keeps the imposter syndrome at bay is, hang on, no, this is not just me speaking. Some of the lessons I've shared with you today, I've learned from my, 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 my dad. I've learned from the wonderful books that I've read and we've mentioned the titles, right? So that gives me a lot of, that calms my mind and my wife has to always remind me of that. The second thing that gives me a lot of comfort is imposter syndrome is not my enemy. It's, it is my friend. Because if I don't feel imposter syndrome, right? So imagine, imagine I think I am the shit mm. and I'm sitting here. You'd feel the vibes of I'm the shit, yeah. right? Imposter syndrome stops me from becoming that because imposter syndrome reminds me that I'm human. Mm. It reminds me that, hey, man, you got to get better. Mm. So I stop seeing it as this crippling foe that is there to crush me. But I see it now as a reminder to how are you being better? How are you improving? So I, I use it as a friend now. It, to me, it's a friend, a gentle reminder as opposed to a crippling. But sometimes it's still crippling, mm. but it, it, it's a lot less crippling now. Yeah. It's more become that kind of slightly mean friend 
Yeah. Right? Slightly mean friend that yeah. reminds you, hey, get better. Yeah. Is yeah. that is is self <laughs> does imposter syndrome come from the continuous comparison to others? Like if if so many facets to imposter yeah. syndrome, I think. But but if you get up on stage, yeah, and you're talking about communication, mm-hmm. do you compare yourself to the Malcolm Gladwells of the world, to no, the to the Simon Sinek's of the world? I don't because of the way I think about it. Okay, think of a gym. Simon Sinek is the treadmill. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is the bench press. Yeah. Uh, I'm the row. Yeah. Okay. Different. It's not about... I'm not in competition with them. Mm. If, if you get Simon Sinek, great. You should get me too. Mm. Because you should work on row. It's good for your posture. It's good yeah. for your back. But you should do the treadmill because it's good for cardio. Yeah. We all teach in different ways. And what I realize, what teachers do, is we just find unique ways to basically teach the same thing. Mm. But the way that I teach it opens up this group of people. Yeah. The way that Simon Sinek teaches it opens up this group of people. So I've had students come to my class and say, literally say to me, just go, Vin, I, I think this is stupid. And I go, that's okay. That means I'm not for you. Mm. And that's totally fine. Yeah. It still hurts what you're saying to me, yeah. but that's totally fine. <laughs> but, it's, it's, yeah. but, but find your tribe. Yeah, and find the people, because you're not meant to serve everyone. This mm. podcast is not meant to be for everyone. Yeah. I'm not for everyone. Yeah. And I've just learned, I've just, I've learned to be okay with that. Yeah. You know, I, I've walked away from working with clients and, and I've had clients who say to me, Vin, well, you can't say that. And I just go, well, well that's okay. Then maybe we should just work together. Mm. Let's just not, let's just keep, let's just make it easy. Let's just not work together. Mm. And I, it's why I, I, I talk about my favorite book. My number one book is The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Oh, I love that book. I have, oh, yeah. So good. Right? So, Do you know, I, not many. Naval should be uh, at the pinnacle of everything. He should start a religion. <laughs> yeah, he uh, should start a religion. No, no, I'd join it. Yeah, I'd join I, it. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so, I'm in I, what do you want me to sacrifice? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so that is a book that I jam down people's throats, but no one listens. Me too. <laughs> I will, but I will continually <laughs> jam it down everyone's His throats. His podcast series is, is amazing. One lesson from that book is, I mean, one of his core values is, I want to help people get wealthy so that they can be themselves more. And I've never been able to in my life, been able to turn away things with comfort because I used to have a scarce mindset. Oh, no, I need every client I can get. But it felt so good, man, being able to say to some of my clients, just go, hey, look, and I know this is a luxury. And if my business turns into crap, then trust me, I'll take everything on. And, uh, you know, again, I'm human, right? But- I'm just fortunate to be in a place where I can turn work away and say, hey, um, well, let's, not, let's just not work together because I don't think I'm for you and I don't think you're for me because you're trying to bend me and make me into something that I'm not and I'd rather just not do that. Mm. Let's, just, let's just not. Yeah. And it just felt so good doing that, man. Because I feel like now I can finally just focus on the people that like me for me mm. and want me for me, right? And the classic example of that is when you're young and you're trying to find love. And you get into relationships where your partner's forever trying to change you. When you find a relationship where the person loves you for you, man, it blew my mind, mm. Daniel, because my whole life growing up, my partners kept trying to change me. Mm. The KPMG story. Yeah, man. I just got, <laughs> I mean, I remember ex-girlfriends, you bring it up, where they say, hey, my dad's, my dad's not going to let us be together if you don't become a partner of KPMG or if you don't get into this accounting firm or, you know, and... And that's sad, man. I mean, yeah. why not let me be me? Mm. And the reality is now being in mid-30s, I just know it now. You can't change people. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You can't. So, yeah. There you go. Sorry, that's another rabbit hole. But no, there you I, go. I, I, um, yeah. Well, well, where are we? Where are we? <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've ended up somewhere. Yeah. But, <laughs> so communication mm. is your is your niche yes. now. You talk talk about communication yes. both from a personal point of view to a how to communicate within a corporate environment, business environment, within relationships, all the above. But communication is so much more. It's body language, it's self-awareness, it's confidence, it's all the above. What is your definition of great communication? I use music as my metaphor. Mm -hmm. Great communication happens when you're able to move people with your music. And you can move people with your music. There's two areas that you've got to get good at. One is the music itself. Mm. You have to write great music. Second, you have to play the music really well. Mm. Okay, so I, I look at it like that. So great communication is when your music moves people to either take action, move people in a way that you influence, you persuade, right? So that's great communication. And the message gets across. You get the point of the music. You go, oh, wow, I've learned something. I, I get this. So I use music as my metaphor. And what I find is there's always this debate in the communication world. Is the content more important? Meaning is the music more important or is the delivery, the way you play more important? Mm. And the real answer is both. Mm. And I feel people, and now I have to, I mean, I remember last night, I actually had to point it out and say to the group that, look, I know I teach communication from the point of playing the instrument, but that's not to say that the technical side is not important. Because if your information sucks and you're really good at talking, that's yeah. it's not going to work. You'll get found out. It's just not going to work. Mm. So the answer is both. To me, great communication is when you're exceptional at what you do technically and you're amazing at being able to communicate that across. To put it concisely, communication is connection. Being able to connect very deeply. And you're very good at this. Because us sitting here, we don't really know each other that well. Hmm. But look at the level at which we can connect right now. Mm. So I base communication on uh, somebody's ability to connect. And you're, you're connecting very well with me. And I think that just goes to show how great you are at communication. Thank you. Okay, so a huge part of it is connection. It's a little bit of head wobble over here. Yeah, yeah. I know. Just, uh, <laughs> you, you can send me the check later. <laughs> just pay me later. Yeah, that's fine. Just, Gabs, cut that. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make that a video and we'll just post that everywhere. No. <laughs> yeah. um, then you start running communication <laughs> classes. Become I mean, my direct competitor. You, you've just found a competitor, my friend. <laughs> my Uncle Carl will run you over. <laughs> you know that, In right? his highlights, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the importance of communication in, in the workplace then, talk to us about that and, and what work you're yeah. doing with because you, you've because you've gone down. I've kind of skipped over a lot of the keynote stuff, but now we're That's into okay. this well. I'm really I'm really passionate about number one, building trusting relationships. And you talked about that. It's about holding the room, holding holding the the space for someone to be able to feel comfortable mm -hmm. to speak. Like I believe communication isn't just the person who's speaking, but it's the person who's receiving. Mm. Um, and so I'm really interested in your the work that you're doing with Corporate World yeah. and yep. how you educate. Well, for example, I, I'm so grateful to be working like with a brand like Microsoft. So they bring me in to work with all of the new hires 
every year I'm responsible for training the aspirers, which is their new hires that they bring in, 5,000 people every year, 4,000 to 5,000 every year. They're engineers. So they bring me in to help these engineers communicate in a way that is more influential because A, they're young. But the reason Microsoft hired them is because they're young and they're brilliant. Mm. But the problem is when you're young, you're afraid to voice your opinions. You're afraid to voice your ideas. So you've got great music, but you don't know how to bring that music to life so that those who are more superior than you, often older than you, will listen. And one simple example is if a young person doesn't speak in a confident manner and has lots of filler words and non-words in their language, and don't use their body language well, don't storytell, then even if they have a great innovative idea, that innovative idea dies on the battlefield with them. Mm. So what I teach them to do is, sure, you've got an idea. I empower them to be able to bring that idea to life, to play the shit out of that music so that when others listen to it, it gives that idea a chance. Mm. It gives them a chance to be heard. Whereas so many ideas fall on deaf ears because A, the person either lacks courage B, because the person plays the music poorly. Or C, I mean, they don't feel empowered or don't have the skill set required to be able to bring it to life. So that's what I do. I I, I help them learn how to play their music more effectively in a way that's influential so it's heard. Because what Microsoft realized was that so many people, so many ideas were not being heard. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. It's it's so great to hear a company do that, right? Where they're putting... They're putting or they're empowering their people to speak up yeah. and be heard. Yeah. So kudos to to, to Microsoft on, yeah. on that. Yeah. What Many you, companies are doing this now, which yeah. is amazing. And they realize the importance of diversity, not only of culture, but of thought, mm. which is really cool. Yes. So now imagine you've got 5,000 engineers who now feel empowered to share ideas. Think of the pool of ideas you get to access now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. 5,000 beautiful songs being played. Now you've got an orchestra. Mm. And you help unlock that. That is that does that not make you just sing to yourself? <laughs> uh, like it, like it, let's be if we break it down. I do feel proud. You would. I do feel super proud because those ideas possibly could be the next best technology that changes the world. I feel happy. Mm. I think that's the word. I was just looking for the right word, right? Mm. It's, yeah, sure, I feel proud. I feel a lot of, you know, I, I, I feel great about it. But what, what makes me feel is happy. Because I, I, because I have such scale now teaching virtually, I get messages all the time. And it's people who write me the three or four paragraph messages that I love sitting and reading. I've got a folder on my Dropbox called Good Vibes. <laughs> no. And I, I screenshot all of the messages that come through because these are lives that I've been able to impact and have change on where they say, oh, Vin, I just got this promotion or I I just had a client of mine uh, works for CBRE, Glenn. I'm sure he doesn't mind me calling him out, but he just got promoted from, from Singapore now to a position in Seattle in the US because he was able to shine brighter. He had these ideas in his minds all along, but now he's brought them to life and now he's been able to bring... It's almost a movement behind his idea now. So I, I, my vision statement for my, me as a teacher is help make the invisible visible. Mm. That's my vision statement. That's so good. And it could be the person. It could be their ideas. It could be their passion. It could be their product. It could be their service. 
<laughs> in the words of Rihanna, shine bright like a diamond, <laughs> right? I want to help people do this. Yeah. I want to help them shine bright. Yeah. Yeah. What is one way without sort of diving into the, the paid work that you do too much, but mm. from low-hanging fruit point of view, mm. where every one of our listeners right now could take away yeah. to improve their communication. And, and that's, it, it's okay to go into the paid content. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't protect it with everything. That's I do. Yeah, you know. yeah. we'll, just, we'll just make them pay parsons well, the reason, swipe before well, we talk about well, that, this, all right? Well, that was the re- <laughs> that's the reason why I got you on, is just to get so I didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> you I like it. Again, the ethnic mothers would be proud. Yeah, I, the first thing I'd say to do is awareness. Mm. Become very aware about how you currently come across to others. And the way you can do that is very simple. I've got a very simple process called record and review. Yeah. Record a five minute video. And if you want to build even more awareness, record a 10 minute video of yourself speaking. Just get your phone. Mm. And then a few little hacks that I've learned along the way. Don't do it in selfie mode because then you'll get too damn conscious of looking at yourself. Just use your front facing camera. Hit record, turn it around so you can't see yourself, Mm. place it in front of you, stand preferably. Talk for 10 minutes, five minutes. If you're a beginner, do it for five minutes. Just talk straight for five minutes. Content is not critical. Talk about your day so far, your favorite food, where you want to travel, when we can travel again. Content's not important. But go for the full five minutes. Once you're done, review it in three different ways. Play the audio and just listen to it and listen to how you come across. Mm. Take notes on how you sound and just start to listen because when you've got five minutes, it's a long time to listen. Start taking notes on what you like and what you don't like. What are some of your limitations? Grab your phone again after you've done that. Now press play, put it on mute and just look at yourself. Take notes on your how you're coming across visually. Mm. What's your body language saying about you? Are you smiling? Are you moving your face? Are you, are you moving your hands in a way that's distracting? Just take notes, just build surface level awareness. And then the final way, don't listen to it and don't watch it. Get it transcribed. Look at your communication from a completely different point of view. Mm. And when you get it transcribed, there's these brilliant things you can check where you say, leave in my non-words and leave in my filler words. Your know, non-words are the sounds we make to fill the silence. Filler words are the words we use to fill the silence. Um, uh, yeah. and so, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. print it out, get a red highlighter and highlight all of your non-words and your filler words. Become super aware of the words you're using that add no value, that declutter your message and decrease the clarity of your message every time you speak. It's like those notes. If you, if you hear a great song and they're playing a beautiful song and, you know, it's just twinkle, twinkle, little star on the piano. It's like da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden, da, da, da. That slight off note is yeah. a filler word. Yeah. It distracts people. It takes the beauty out of communication. It takes the influence out of it. Oh, the amount of times I've, said, I've counted someone who's up on stage speak, I've counted the ums. You've counted them. I've counted That's them. sick. Yeah, it yeah. is. Disgusting. It, it infuriates me and all I can hear is the um. Well, it, <laughs> and, and, and like you said, communication is 50% what the person receives, right? Yeah. It's not about eradicating it completely yeah. because we're human. Okay. They're there. It's okay. They're, they're there. They're needed. But decrease it by 95%. <laughs> That's right. We, we don't need it every second word, right? Yeah. That's what I would do first of all. Just know where you're at and start that self-awareness. This is the equivalent. And I often say this. It's like looking into the communication mirror. Mm. When's the last time you looked into the communication mirror? I mean, we look in the mirror every morning to dress ourselves. We need to look into the communication mirror because that's what people see every day. Yeah. So start that. I can vouch for this. I, the, I listen to every single podcast back. Mm. 
uh, once if not twice yeah. and really more from a critique point of view to mm-hmm. really understand my questioning techniques mm. the way I speak I've had I asked for brutal feedback from people as well um, one piece of feedback that I got was Dan you sugarcoat everything you say with the word I guess mm. which means it takes away what you're the about power. to say the power about of mm. what you're about to say mm-hmm. by using the word I guess yeah and so I've tried to eradicate that. I still throw it in there every now and again, mm. but but it it was very prevalent in some of those earlier podcasts. If anyone goes back and listens to now, I don't say it anywhere near as much. And it's, I think you're right. It is just about power of repetition, really understanding every single day what you're doing. When you play an instrument, the first time you play the saxophone, you're going to suck. Mm. The 100th time you play it, it will sound better. Mm. It's practice, Absolutely. but it's about being aware of the practice because if you're playing the saxophone poorly and you don't listen to yourself back, you can create an illusion for yourself. Mm. It, it's why some of the people who get on Australia's Got Talent back in the day or whatever can sing terribly but be shocked when they get terrible feedback. That's what happens when you don't have self-awareness. Mm. That's what happens when everyone around you tells you you're amazing, but you don't check to see if you actually are amazing or if, if it's because mum really loves me. Yeah, that's right. True. Uh, yeah, so, so that's a key point. It's self-awareness. About, it's about picking the right people to give you feedback Oh, as well. yeah. I mean, don't ask a random about how you can improve your communication skills because they may not know how to communicate effectively themselves, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's just the reality of it is build self-awareness and you will improve from there. And of course, you're going to get to a point where you plateau because it's unknown unknowns. It's Jahari's window, right? Like you need to, if you want to know more unknowns, you have to seek out a teacher. Yeah. That's where I advise to find a teacher. Find someone who can help would, you take it to the next level. Would you say that lack of self-awareness piece is the main contributor to poor communication? Yes. And because you, you're, you're unaware of how you come across. You have no idea how you're using the instrument. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, th- and this is how I know. Because when people listen to an audio of themselves, they freak out. <laughs> they go, oh, man, I hate the way I sound. Everyone says that, which means everyone doesn't review how they communicate. Mm. People don't even like how they look on camera, which again shows me that, well, it's because you don't review how you communicate. This is real time what you and I are doing. I can't be aware of how I sound and everything all at the same time while I'm doing it. It's too hard. Mm. Why do you think professional athletes watch their game back? Mm. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I love it. That's exactly what I, that's a piece of information that I I give to everyone is, is the constant review. Yeah. I grew up playing sport. That's why I believe sport actually plays such a powerful um, part in society purely mm. from after every game you go back and you review what you did wrong or where you could improve or what yeah. the op- opposition did to over, to beat you or, you know, and so you, you're constantly learning and I apply that at everything I do. Yeah. And, and, and the review, I think from going into the corporate world, the review system is we do a yearly Personal development, yeah, performance oh. review. Mm-hmm. You imagine um, playing a game of football, reviewing soccer, once, or, yeah, and then review twelve months later. Like it just doesn't make sense. Do you me. remember that game you played three hundred and sixty-five <laughs> days ago? <laughs> yeah. But you know, I thought, thought that I had that just came up was I've I've only just started journaling more in my life, probably two three years ago. Get yourself one of these. Yeah, I know you, you <laughs> bought that out when we had coffee, and I was very jealous. But I, I, I'm just still writing in a notebook, right? And there's a there's a pleasure to writing as well, yeah. right? I know you can write on that too. And when you journal, that is a way for you to review how you're living. Mm. 
And I've never done that before, pre to, to three years ago. Right? I review the way I communicate. I've been able to get to you know onto global stages with this technique, but I didn't use it for life. Mm. So when I realized that gap in my thinking, I immediately started journaling, and that that has changed my life because yeah. now, you know, I had a really shitty month of, a few months ago, and instead of going, wait, what, what made me feel shit? I'm, I'm not even really sure. Now I can see my thoughts, my way of thinking that has contributed to me seeing life in a shitty lens. And I can go, I, I knew exactly actually what caused that. Yeah. And it was because of how I read a situation, but I read it wrong. Yeah. So it allows me now to improve the way I see things that yeah. happen for the future. Yeah, I love it. Tim Ferriss, <laughs> yeah. he records every single workout that he's done since he started. As in like when you're writing in, it yeah, down. He yeah. writes down every single workout, like I'm talking in the gym. Yeah. And then... So he could look back if he sees a photo of himself in 1996 and he goes, oh, actually, I looked all right there. I'll go, go back, back to that routine. and I'll see what, I, yeah. what, how I was training for that point in what, particular. One point. of your past guests, Matthew Mihilovich, one yeah. of my good friends, he does that too. Yeah. He's got this workbook in his garage and he's just got like stacks of them. And I see him do weights and stuff. He's like the buffest older dude I know. He's, it's ridiculous. He's a, he, he was, he's a Nani we, fan. We had, a, we had a picnic <laughs> one time. And he was late to the picnic and I was there with his wife and my wife. And I see this guy just running on the beach, topless. And I was like, man, that guy's a Hulk. It's Matthew. <laughs> yeah. It was Matthew. He's yeah. a unit. Yeah. I just, I, I would never take my shirt off in front of him. But, <laughs> <laughs> and he's made me do it. I was like, I feel like such a small man. But it's, and now he's got a pool in his backyard. So I'm like, great. Now I'm going to have to come for swims and hate myself. But he does that too. Yeah. So I think the process of reviewing and building self-awareness, critical for all areas of life. I want to just dive into the journaling bit yeah. that you said. And we'll get back onto Matt in a sec. So I want to ask yeah, you a question yeah. about him. He's, uh, the, it's not that great. No. Yeah. He's, been, he's been on the podcast twice. I know. Yeah. So he must be great. He's a, no, he's a superstar. Um, it, with the journaling aspect of it, how have you found talking to yourself through journaling? Like <laughs> you, you really understand your own mindset there and your own communication to yourself in yeah. that space, don't you? Well... When I first started journaling, I wasn't very vulnerable with myself mm. because I, I didn't want to write negative thoughts. Even though no one's going to read this, I still found myself not being truthful yeah. in my writing. Yeah, absolutely. I had, like, I, I had really dark things that were on my mind. There's a barrier that you need to and, break through. Yeah, and I didn't write it. You know, like I had all these concerns about, and you know, I'm happy to talk about it now because there's a bit of distance, but I, there was this period I went through where I was so afraid something negative or bad was going to happen to my son. Mm. That while he's at school, something's going to happen. He's going to die. And I was like, what am I? What? what why am I thinking all these thoughts? Mm. And I was afraid to write them down. So I just write, oh, some negative thoughts about Xander. Don't know why. Mm. Worrying about him too much. But then the moment I was able to break through that and start to write down some of my deepest, darkest thoughts and worries and fears, that's when it became more therapeutic. Yeah. Because I was able to truly dump those and get rid of them. He acted like it was like a, it was like one of those. Uh, I started, I started playing um, Diablo again, yeah. classic Diablo three. Oh, such a good game. <laughs> when my son, I have this thirty minute window at night where son's gone to bed, wife's taken a like long bath, jump on, the, <laughs> jump and play Diablo, and there's like a, there's a dark stone that absorbs evil, yeah. and that to me, a part of my journal is is that for I me. Agree. It's a dark stone that I'm like, get out of me, evil. Yeah. It's like the demons are flying out of me and being trapped in this book. Yeah, I use it for that very. Oh, I use it for that too because I need an outlet. Yeah, and these thoughts they're not rational. No. So if I started talking to everyone about it, people might think I'm crazy, yeah. right? 
So I get and it's out. gibberish when you read oh, it back. Yeah, it's not yeah. Have you ever yelled at your journal, like in words? <laughs> I think you're at a. I think you've. I think you've. I think. Yeah. Thank you for being really vulnerable. But I think that's next level. It is. Yeah, like I've you, never you, yelled you, at my you, journal. You almost start. I, well, I yell on the inside. Y- yeah. But did you do it on the outside? No, 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 no. Oh, no, okay. Yelling, okay. but you yeah. almost yell through the words that you're mm. writing, and you're almost like powerful because wow. this is what I really want to scream out. Yeah. But I can't because I need to keep my wits about me, and I need to, you know, do all the above thing. Yeah. Keep, keep above the line, sort of I stuff. I thought you sit there and <laughs> yell. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I never yell it like from that point of view. But as in the words I'm writing come from a point that. The, yeah, ang- frustration the, ang- the anger. And, yeah. it's, I feel like it's as good as punching a punching bag sometimes in, yeah. in the sense that just that energy release is out. Yeah. And I find that once I do that, it, it's out of my head That's for the day. And sometimes it comes back, I'll write it again. You know, and, and it's great for many other things. I'm, I, this isn't a negative book that I just, it's not just like a soul destroying book that no, if anyone no, read. Oh. There's so many wonderful things in it too. But I sometimes do wake up in the morning with some awful thoughts mm. and, I, and then it's gone yeah and then it's gone yeah, yeah. you put it in on, sh- on the shelf and you, you just acknowledge it yeah you, this thing happens in horror movies right so when when the when the main character is running away you get more scared you're always like, oh get away run 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 so you feel scared for the character but when the character turns around and faces the monster you're less scared of the monster and i think that's what happens with fear Right? When you face fear, fear gets smaller. When you run away from fear, fear gets bigger. Same thing with my students when they do public speaking classes with me. The more you fear it, the bigger it's going to get. So at my workshop, we face the monster. I'm like, look, I mean, you know, not to spoil it for everyone, but the first thing we do in my class on day one, the first moment you arrive is we all go on stage and we sing. <laughs> and yeah. everyone is like, what? Yeah. No. But I'm like, let's face the monster. And the funniest thing happens, right? And I love crafting I might, these experiences. I, might, I literally just clenched up as you said. Yeah, that. yeah. well, I can tell. I, I saw you literally clench your butt cheeks. Yeah. But the thing is, what happens is this. Everyone gets through it. Yeah. And then I ask them afterwards, why did, you, why did you feel so much fear before we did this? And they go, I'm scared of what everyone else is going to think. Yeah, judgment. Judgment. I say, okay, cool. Okay, that's valid. That's absolutely valid. Okay, let's talk about this. All right. Uh, so I point to someone. I go, what was, the, what was the first song that was sung? Who sung it? Oh, I, I don't remember. Okay, well, fine. Okay. Well, second song. What was the second? Third. No one remembers. Okay. Okay. Make it easy for you. What was the last song that was sung on stage? No one remembers. So I say to them, so you fear judgment from others while others didn't even remember your performance. That fear is invalid. It's an illusion. It's not real. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest magic trick you'll play on yourself. And then I bring in a quote from Mark Twain who says, you worry less about what others think of you when you realize how seldom they do. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that stops us from being bright like a diamond, the one thing that stops us from doing this is a fear that is invalid and not even real. Mm. So yeah. right from the get-go, I show them that when we face this monster, we realize it's not a monster. It's not even real. It's something that we create in our own minds. It's not real. Where do you think that poor habit comes from, though? Our fear of speaking, our fear of speaking up, our fear of public speaking comes from early, early childhood experiences where we got shut down for voicing our ideas or opinions. Generally, I find that now having taught so many students, it comes from, you know, in high school, you've got an oral presentation mm. 
and the teachers don't teach you how to publicly speak. They don't teach you the skills, the tools. They just teach you the structure of how to organize your content. Mm. So they teach you the music, but they don't teach you how to play the instrument. Mm. So then you get on in front of the class, inevitably you do terribly. Mm. And only the kids who are naturally gifted do well, which are far and few. So the majority of the kids who go through the education system get an initial experience of public speaking and it's terrible. Mm. And it stays with them and it haunts them. Because in year nine now, when you're 14, oral presentation, oh God, no. And then you're sick and you don't even go to the one practice session you have all year round. And then the next year, now, the, now you're replaying that story over. I'm, I'm terrible at this. I'm bad at this. And you replay it over and over and over again. And every time you have an opportunity to do it, you do terribly. It further anchors that experience. But it generally comes from that, I find. Yeah, I haven't even thought of that. That's amazing. Yeah, it comes from that. Yeah, because when we, when we work through it with some of my students, because it's not just like I, I push them. I just go, well, where do you think this comes from? It comes from that. It comes from that initial experience. That's brilliant. Yeah. Do you, how do you break the mold of that fear? Is it just by repetition, getting up over and over and over again? I mean, do you, I mean you're always getting nervous when you get up on stage. Do you? Yeah, but the nervous energy is now more excitement. Mm. It still feels nervous, but it's excitement. I'll ask you this. How did you break the mold of that corporate world into your own entrepreneurial world? How did you break that mold? In what respect? Well, you're asking how do people break out of their molds on mm. stage, right? So how did you break your mold? I'll give you an example. So I tell my students this, how do I get them to break out of their comfort zones? And is that what you're asking me? Yeah. yeah. People are attached to ideas. And there's this idea that, especially when I do this with men, sometimes women as well, but I say to men, oh, you know, learn to access your head voice. Mm. You know, when you're speaking with a bit more air and there's a bit more care and empathy in this. And then a lot of men will come back to me and sometimes say, oh, that, it's not authentic to me. Uh, that's, I don't do that. That feels unnatural. It's fake and phony if I do it. And I say to them, no, it's not fake and phony. It's just that you're unfamiliar with it. Mm. That's all. So they have this idea of who they are that I only do this in my life. But I open their minds up to say that, no, 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 it's not about just the, the, the metaphor. I know you've probably heard me use this, but the metaphor I use is there are 88 keys on the piano. You've just become so comfortable playing with these 12. And when I ask you to play with these over here, you say it's fake and phony. No, no, no. It's just unfamiliar keys on the same piano. So it's not even about breaking out of your mold. It's about changing the way you view mm. communication. It's about learning how to use the entire instrument. Mm. And that to me is the most authentic thing you can do. Otherwise, if the only way I can speak is like this, and this is the only way I speak, that's not authentic. That's mm. not me being able to play all the music that I have to be able to offer. So I, I, I get them to break out of their mold by changing the way they think about communication, right? I'm getting them to change behavior. And I think that's what you did too. For you to break out of the mold in the corporate world, you had to change a pattern of behaviors. Oh, without doubt. Yeah. And, and so to me, I, I help my students break out of behaviors because that's, that's all that communication is. But there's is. an element of walking into the fire every day, right? I, I believe that is you, you're walking out into the world and you're putting yourself in, it's living with the ambiguity yeah it's living being with comfortable the, with the uncomfortable yeah let's step into the discomfort that, that sort of stuff yeah that in itself i believe is just what holds people back mm. 
more so than they're afraid of being uncomfortable well it, it's that sick feeling that you get before mm. you go on stage yeah it's, it's kind of it mimics diarrhea yeah it, does. it really it does. does it really does yeah it's that's yeah. like oh, you yeah. feel like you're gonna go to the toilet 25 times i mean i yeah. i used to get nervous before a football game or cricket game and the same in the same way that I do when I go up on stage now. Yeah. I'm not on stage anywhere near as much as what you do and people don't pay to see me talk. But mm. if I, I, I do host functions and do all the above and I get real nervous. Okay. Because of the idea of the people will judge. Yeah. I, but, it, but they I, don't. I know they don't. Yeah. But they it, don't care about you. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're thinking more about you know, their investment portfolio and yeah. how that's not doing very well. I think about the groceries and yeah. So that being said, then what's the point of keynote speaking if they're not taking in? Well, they, they're not there to judge you negatively. Hmm. Okay. They're not there to judge you negatively. They want you to succeed. Yeah. Okay. I mean, think about this, right? If you go to a magic show, you want to see the magician succeed. Correct. Who pays? <laughs> To go see someone fail. Yeah. The intention is good. Mm. But as the presenter, you have this fear that they're there to get me. No, they're not. As an audience at a conference, they want to see you succeed. Mm. But at the same time, you have to realize they're there for themselves. Mm. They want something from this. So use that gravitational force. Don't think about you. The reason you get nervous is because you think, oh, how am I going to look? How am I going to come across? How am I going to sound? You, 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 right? Well, it's not about you. You have to snap out of that and think for the next hour, I'm here to serve. It's one of the coolest words I learned in America and I really love that word. Serve. Mm. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve my audience. It's not about me. I've got to get out of my own head. I mean, I remember I, I coached a CEO in the US and I almost had to bitch slap him <laughs> backstage and tell him, it's not about you, man. Mm. It, this hour is not about you. Get over yourself. This hour is about you empowering and educating the people in front of you to give them the vision so they have something to follow because they need something to follow right now, mm. more than ever. And he had to get out of his own head. So the quote about Mark Twain that, you know, you worry less about what people think of you when you realize how seldom they do, that is not used to, to, to say to you that, oh, no one cares about what you have to say. No, they do. That's used to let you know that they don't care as much as you think. Mm. They don't care as much as you think. So when you're on stage to worry less, don't be you-centric. Be audience-centric. Think about them. I'm here to serve you. Shit, I'm here to serve you. It's not about me. Who cares about how I look? Who cares about how I sound right now? It's all about you. And that gets you out of your own head. Oh, I love it. It'll get you out of your own head, man. You're there to serve. Absolutely. Not yourself, the audience, yeah. Moving into the Matt Mahalovich, mm. he had a fairly big influence on your key keynote speaking career, didn't he? Yeah, Absolutely. When I first started my journey, he he released his book. The Life in Half a Second. A great book. It Five Doors for Success, right? Changed a big part of me. Yeah, me too. And I couldn't believe this guy lived in Adelaide. I neither could I. Yeah. yeah. What? And what he said was, he goes, I'll help you with your speaking career. Come help me do my book launches all around Australia. And he flew me, paid for my hotel room. And I remember this one joke. It was hilarious. So we got to the uh, hotel in Sydney and he obviously arranged this joke. And I was like, why is this man being so nice to me? I don't understand. So we get to the hotel and he goes, oh, we're staying in the ho same hotel room. And I was like, oh, it's one of those relationships. I'm going to, okay. And, no, it wasn't, but he was just joking, obviously. And, and we were both in our own separate hotel rooms. But he, 
he flew me around Australia to open his book launches and he had clients that booked me thereafter for keynotes. That's amazing. What amazing a man. man. What a man. What a man. And, and now we've become best friends, right? And, you know, I've, I've, I've gone to Poland with him and stayed in his home over there. We, we just went out to watch a series of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies in the cinema together. It was, it was sick. He's a sick man. But he was fantastic. I mean, I've now, I've now, I now love Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. by force, right? <laughs> and I find it funny now, but three years ago, I didn't. But he, that kind gesture changed the trajectory of my career. Yeah. I remember sitting down with him. Uh, we were at Boat Deck. This is where we had coffee as well. Yeah. And Matthew and I sat down and he goes, and this was when I just started keynote speaking. I was getting paid 1500 bucks, two and two and a half thousand dollars a talk. Yeah. And he goes, you're a $50,000 speaker then. And again, I had the immediate thought, this guy's insane. He's one of those success fanatics that's completely lost his mind. This is absolutely offensive. I'm almost offended by him saying that because I'll never reach that. And you're making me set false expectations for myself and I'm just going to crush my, yeah. my, myself. Yeah. And I was like, nah, this, you're crazy. I hit it. Yeah. And I believe that I somehow hit it because he unconsciously always plants into my mind that I am worthy, mm. that I am great at what I do, that I am amazing. And he is one of the very few people in my life that pushed me to dare to dream and to dream big. Mm. He opened the door for you. And he continues to open my mind to the possibilities. Whereas tall poppy syndrome is real in Australia. Mm. And I've lived in the US, so I know it is. And now that I've come back, I can feel it. Mm. It's grappling. It is. And it's subtle. It's very subtle. And... You know, of course, look, listen, I love my country. I love Australia. I, I, I would fight for my own country. I love my country. But I don't want to ignore the things that are negative about it too. Mm. And one of it is we genuinely have a case of tall poppy syndrome here. Absolutely. Whereas, I'll give you an example of this. Many of my close friends will look at me and go, oh, he's made it. So I, I don't get encouragement from them. I don't get support. And they love me and I love them. We love each other. I, I brought this up at a recent uh, kind of sitting with my friends going, hey, I really want you guys to inspire me. I, I want you to cheer me on. You know, and, and I had this conversation with this heartfelt conversation and then you know, we all hugged and everything, but they said, we, we weren't even aware we were doing this. Mm. But I said, no, but I, want you to, I still want you guys to cheer me on. I want you guys to say, hey, Vin, what's next? You know, hey, Vin, you know, what are your next plans? What are you going to do? I, I want that from you. I mean, I give it to them, but I don't get it in return. Yeah. Whereas Matthew has always given me that. Mm. Our friendship has been one that has been continually inspiring. I'm it, so lucky to have that. He's a brilliant man. The, how yeah. I met Matthew and, and managed to get him on, if you haven't, do yourself a favor and listen to those podcasts. If the listener's in, go back and listen to one. Uh, one the first one's about his book and the second one is about his new book, uh, The Rise Artificial of Artificial yeah, Intelligence, intelligence. which is, they're both brilliant conversations. But I was sitting at the bottom of the SA Water Building in Victoria Square here in South Australia and... Matt was sitting at the uh, – just having a coffee. Don't know what he was doing there. Didn't care. I saw him and I went, I need to speak to him. <laughs> and I walked over into him, introduced myself. I said, Matt, my name's Daniel. Your book's changed my life. Wow. He said, sit down. We had coffee for half an hour together just mm. at, in that very moment mm. and caught up with him a few times after that. He taught me a lot in, about sales. I was really interested in sales because he's a, obviously, as you know, a genius Great salesman. in that, in mm -hmm. that space. Mm. And picked his brain and he just offered his time 
and like I think now that was three years ago. I think now back to it, and you know that in itself helped me because I do the same now, and I often give my time. And your approach, I reached out to you cold as they come and i think i mentioned your dog link which is probably what jagged you in the end which is yeah. a legend of zelda game oh yeah uh, yeah the fact that you know that brownie points uh, absolutely hardcore. absolutely <laughs> but i felt you did the same thing so you're repaying that yeah. now you're repaying the goodness that matt gave to you and you're doing the same and then it's just an ongoing effect so it's, it is amazing at how influential people are and where i want to go with this point is and you talk about your friends and i think you mentioned it earlier with the friends where you were hanging around at school Mm. you are a sum of the people that you hang around absolutely how important is that to you hanging around the right people and and seeking the knowledge of those who are close well you've in the 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 classic line that even matthew referenced in his book is you know you're the direct reflection of the top five people you spend time Mm. with now, obviously, there's a professional version of that, and I think there's a personal version of that, mm. because I've got personal, you know, top fifteen, yeah. and I'm never going to remove any of them. Yeah. They're my that's my tribe, that's my core, it's my family. I love mm-hmm. them, right? My friends and my family. But then professionally, I'm fairly strategic with this. For example, if I'm I'm I teach communication skills, so when I was in the US, I wanted a very specific top five professionally. I wanted the best opera singer that Southern California had to offer in my top five, because I wanted to understand vocal projection, how to really harness the power of this voice. Mm. Who, who would know? Opera singers, they sing without mics to a room of two, 3,000 people. Yeah. Who better to have in my top five than an opera singer? Melissa Trinkman, amazing, amazing. So I wanted her, I wanted to- It's amazing that you think of that though, as a thing. That, that in itself is amazing. Well, why not learn from the master of their craft? Yeah, I know, but, but uh, uh, the, the idea that your right. brain worked in a way where I need to learn how to project my voice more. Right. I well, think- or it's, it's something that I, if I went to a communication teacher, I'd want them to know. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah, right. So, so I've kind of, I, I want to become, well, you know who I'm inspired by as a teacher? Who's that? I'm inspired, you know, Dead Port Society? Yeah. Yeah, Captain, my captain? Yeah, love it. That is who I, I like, it's not even real. This yeah. person's not even real. But, yeah. but I thought if I have had a teacher like that, oh man, I'd be so inspired. Mm. So, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, right? Yeah. So then that's kind of what I'm trying to go after. So then I got Melissa Trinkman, who was my vocal coach, who taught me all about the voice and how to force systems of voice and how to project powerfully. Then I also wanted a speech pathologist because I knew that the way you communicate is a series of behaviors. So if you want to improve your communication skills, you need to learn behavioral change. Mm. Who better than speech pathologist? Mm. So then to me, I... I align my professional top five with where I want to go. Whereas what happens often is we keep the same personal five, of course, and that really changes, but it does sometimes change. But then we also keep the same professional five. Mm. Matthew was a part of my top five for a long time. Yeah. But I had to part ways with him almost to grow. Yeah. I had to make room for new teachers. Correct. For new mentors. And the most beautiful thing about great mentors is they know when their time has come to an end. They know when they sit down, they say to you, and I had one of my mentors do this. He goes, hey, Vin, <laughs> you've outgrown this mentorship and I have to set you free. This, these coffees now, I have nothing to teach you. You're teaching me way more and mm. it's, uh, you need to find someone new. And to find people like that is truly is it, rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the apprentice becomes the yeah somewhat right mm. so what i would say to the listeners or listen to this is ensure that w- once you have clarity on where you want to go reflect on your professional top five do you have the right people in your professional top five right now that is going to help you get to where you want to go yeah and it's critical yeah and be strategic with that right it's, it's like even in my personal life i think i told you this before and our coffee i i took up archery so to me well who can you bring into your top five to help you become a great archer? Sure. I, I, and I went to a local coach here for two months. My archery didn't improve much. Mm. So I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's do what you know, I kind of would normally crazily do. So I reached out to the gold medalist <laughs> of 2016 Olympics. Brilliant. Didn't reply. No. Monster. <laughs> and then I reached out. I was like, you know what? Silver medalist is pretty good. They don't get a lot of love. <laughs> right? So they don't get a lot of love, damn it. So I reached out to the silver medalist, Jake Kaminsky. He replied. Yeah, brilliant. Started coaching me. Right, two months of coaching with a local coach here. I improved 10, 15%. One session with Jake, 80 plus percent improvement yeah. in accuracy. I could hold my groupings with one hand. Unbelievable. Yeah. Right? And it shows you the importance of the quality of your top five. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So that, that's, yeah, sorry. I just got a, got no, a little, bit, I, got a little I, bit angry there no. almost. I don't know why. But, <laughs> ah. I'm with you. What do you think I started this podcast for? For that, it's yeah. a big part. I'm a people collector. I absolutely love being in a room with people who are smarter than me, or done more than me, or have something to offer. And yeah, um, and knowledge is one of my, you know, wisdom and knowledge are some of my key values. So yeah, me too. It's about uh, yeah, getting all the information that you can. Hmm. Now, I am conscious of your time because we've uh, we've almost hit the two hour. <laughs> yeah. So sorry I, for sitting through this. No, but thank I've you got, for sitting through this. I have had so many questions that I've not not got to. Maybe yeah. we do a part two down the track. But you're a busy man. So way we one there are a few minor questions that I want to quickly touch on. Quick fire ones, right? Well, I've so got the quick fire don't ones. Talk too the, long. I've got the quick fire ones at the end. But there's okay. a few things I just want to bring up quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we've talked about Xander, your son a few times throughout this but what's one lesson that you've learned about communication as a father i'd say energy Hmm. Uh, when when kids are young their language is energy energy and focus and attention and what i learned was i could say all the right words to my son it doesn't matter it's how i said it Hmm. how i say it matters more I could play with him, but how I play with him matters more. Mm. And being a little boy, he loves energy, right? So to me, I look at it as, I'm giving you a lot of energy in this podcast, but this is nowhere near how much I give my son. Yeah, well. So when I go home and I'm I'm about to see my son and my wife for lunch, he's going to get a very big version of me because he loves it. Mm. He loves it when dad does that. Of course, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not always outrageous with him, no. but that's important to him. Mm. And he eats it. He eats that energy up. He loves it. So I bring the energy and that's the part of communication that matters a lot. Because it's very easy for me to serve you. It's very easy for me to serve my clients and then bring home the shittiest version of me to my wife and my son. Mm. It's why I love what Shakespeare says in his speech or poem, you know, all of the world is a stage. So I'm right now on the Synergy IQ stage. Mm. And I have reasons why I'm bringing the best version of me. Maybe listeners out there listen to this and they come see me for communication skills or whatever that may be, right? So I want to bring the best version of me. But what about my stage with my son when I step onto that stage as a father? 
You know, mm. am I bringing my A game? Yeah. And I want to. I want to. I may be shit tired at the end of the day, but I'll find a way to bring the energy mm. because that's, that's probably the most important stage in my life. Not here, not even for my client last night. Those are not the most important stages to me. Amazing. Yeah. And I fail at that. Let's not be illusioned and go, oh, he's always an amazing dad. No, 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 no. I, I am also a shit dad at times, right? <laughs> Aren't we all? But yeah, well, yeah. I think if we're all being honest. Mm. So to me, but I try to have way more better days than shitty mm. days, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think for me, one of the key learnings is being present. Mm. So communication is spoken through your presence. Yeah. Are you really listening? Uh, yeah. And you can, I bet you can tell when oh. someone in a podcast is listening to you and when they're not. Oh. Yeah. There are a few people, Yeah, not only in the podcast, but in, in life that you speak to and they just do not even reference the question that was yeah, asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's something Matthew's very good at. Mm. When he's with you, he's with you. Yeah. That's one of his superpowers. Yeah. He makes you feel so amazing. It's piercing. Yeah, it is. Amazing. I, this is just a roundabout question. Gary V sent you a message on your wedding day. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk to me about that? <laughs> yeah. So I was courting his mentorship and his friendship for years because I knew I was going to the US. I knew that I would cross paths with him because, you know, I've spoken on stage, yeah. you know, on the same stage as he's spoken at, you know, yeah. multiple times now. And he sent me a message and I, I went crazy on my wedding day. I have a video of me just like losing my mind on my wedding. Oh my God, this day can't get any better. That's hilarious. And then the thing is, I no longer courted him as a mentor after that. No. Well, because he, it's very easy to want people like that in your top five. Mm. But I had a bit more clarity on who I wanted to become at that point. Mm. And he definitely wasn't a person I wanted to become. He had many facets of him that were very inspiring. But I knew that if I, he was too close in my top five, I would become the person that would hustle a lot mm. and forget about my friends, forget about my family. And I'm sure he doesn't forget about his family. But his gravitational pull was so strong that I knew that if I got too close to that and got into orbit of that planet, I'd be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, because it's too inspiring. It'll it bring is. out a different version of me. I agree. I, yeah. There's an element of Gary V stuff with this constant hustle thing. And he, I, he's toned it down a lot, he had, I have to say, he, to, to com, be fair to To where him. he was at, at, the, start, at the start, yeah. And that's when I got into him at the start. Yeah. Where it was the work your face off, you yeah. know? It was Absolutely. all that kind of message. And I went, oh, if I get close to this, I'm going to get burnt. Well, and yeah. I think that's the thing for me. Being a parent, I don't want work to get in the way of my life. Yeah. But I also am, well, sorry, I don't want work to get in the way of my relationship with my children. Mm. But I also am super ambitious and I want to take yeah. this business to new heights and, and, and you know, Australia-wide and all the above. Mm. But I'm trying to figure out, and Matthew is also, we keep going back to Matthew. He was telling me, Dan, you can do both. Yeah, you can. You can do it together. He's proof. He is. He is Absolutely. Proof. He is proof. When I go to his house and have lunch and dinner, his kids are at the table the mm. whole day. Mm. Not for the meal, the whole day. Yeah. And that, that says a lot. Mm. Yeah. It does. Because mm. they are, they're, and they're teenagers. <laughs> so that says even more. It does. Yeah. <laughs> they're good kids. I love them. Yeah. Right. Quick fire questions. Okay. Let's do We're it. We're going to get into it. They, right. These never end up being quick fire. So, okay. But, well, I'll try right, to make them yeah. as quick fire as possible. <laughs> what are you reading right now? <laughs> Literally in the car today, listen to How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, yeah. Again. Literally listening to that. Yeah. 
I need because we're about it. to talk about that on the podcast with my best man, uh, Ali. Yeah, so we're yeah. about to do that book next, so that's why I'm revisiting it. Uh, if you ever do a guest speaker and want to speak about mm. it, let me know. Okay. <laughs> do you do these virtually as well? I can. Okay. All right. I'm happy to do whatever, but give me some heads up. Obviously. Yeah, 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 definitely. So we will make sure I reread. What's one? So other than how to win friends, what is one de- personal development book or self development book or book on communication? Oh, okay. That you? Yeah, I've got one. Is, yeah. I would say How to Set Your Voice Free by Roger Love. How to Set Your Voice Free. Yes, What's because. The premise? It's it's a book about it's he's a singing teacher, a vocal teacher. He's coached Rihanna, etc. Oh, yeah. So if you learn from Roger, you will learn wonderful vocal techniques that will open up your voice and unlock your voice. It's a very distilled book, lots of wisdom in there, how to set your voice free. And it comes with practical exercise lessons, uh, audios that you can practice every morning. Is it for singers or is it just No, it's no. for everyday speakers, oh, everyday communicators. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, when you're speaking, we're actually singing right now. This is a form of singing. Mm. It is. It's just a form of singing. That's not what my, my wife thinks. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It is. It, it genuinely is. And then because, again, the way we speak now can either pull people in or yeah, it can just correct. make people bored. Like yeah. if we just spoke like this the entire time. Mm. Yeah, this is a form of singing, but it's, it's bad. <laughs> right? It is. Yeah. Okay. People get bored. Yeah, they do. <laughs> What's one lesson? Actually, no. Stop this question first. Are there any podcasts that you're listening to other than or any podcasts that you religiously listen to other than this one, obviously? Yeah, <laughs> and your own. Of course. Because <laughs> yeah, that's all I listen to. Uh, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Joe Rogan. Oh, good man. Yeah, I love Joe Rogan because I love uh, that he's willing to change his beliefs based on new evidence. Mm. I really respect that. Yeah, okay? I agree. Admit he's wrong when he's wrong and will we'll shift his beliefs. He's not married to his beliefs. I love yeah. that uh, because it's who I aspire to be too. So here's one. I love Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan gets such connection from people. I love that because he's, he's my kind of guy. You sit yeah. down, you have a drink, and then you just connect and you have a good laugh. Yeah. Love Tim Ferriss because of pragmatics. Mm. He doesn't get a lot of connection with people. I don't find that you know he, he gets into rapport as much as Joe Rogan does. That's right. But here's the pragmatic takeaways. This is what you do, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, love him. And outside of those two, how we built this. Every now and then, yeah. you know, not always. I'd say those are the top three. Brilliant. Mm. The the Brene Brown podcast is really good. Oh, I love her books. I haven't listened yeah. to a podcast though. Her podcast is fantastic. I've reviewed two of her books on my podcast. She's changed my life, that lady. She She's changed my life. So I don't know if you know this, but Michelle, my business partner, Michelle mm-hmm. Holland, went over and spent a week with Brene. Ah, you did tell me this. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, mm. she's- now, accredited in the dead lead work, which yeah. is what we offer here. But- uh, yeah, we, we're all very big uh, Brene, Brown Brene, fans. Brene Brown fans. But the Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, I am mm. obsessed with them. But it, I am very picky and choosy about which podcast. Like I won't listen to any of Joe's um, UFC stuff. Yeah, I actually don't. Yeah, do. I don't it's do. just I whoever, don't. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. What's one lesson that has taken you the longest to learn? I'd say... Oh, there's there's so many. (laughs) I'm trying to pick one that would be somewhat potent. I'd say don't don't climb all the way to the top of the mountain. Give your children mountain left to climb. Oh, can you? Okay, I'll I'll explain because that's very metaphorical. Um, My dad didn't give me any of the inheritance. 
nor did he give my brother. Two kids, no inheritance, right? That's all they got. And they, they, they gave their wealth away to uh, an association they really cared about, a Buddhist association. We didn't get any of that. And the reason my dad didn't give it to me is he's, he left me some mountain to climb. Mm. It is so hard not to give my son right now everything that he wants. Mm. So hard not to make his life as comfortable and as good as possible. It's so hard to hold back. Mm. I'm still not learning that lesson very well. But I have to learn this. Yeah. Because I don't want to raise a child that is entitled. Agreed. So I'm struggling with this one. And my wife and I chat on a weekly basis. We need, we can't, you know. And so this I'm struggling. Mm. Yeah. But my dad did it in the ultimate way. And initially when he didn't, I was like, oh, 10%? Dad, uh, come on. <laughs> What's right? that about? What's that about? Right. But then I, I just, I realized the gift yeah. of mountain that he's left me to climb. Yeah. Because when you rob someone of that, they feel a lack of purpose. And I've seen this. Mm. I've, got, I've got really wealthy Italian mates, parents own wineries. I went to St. Ignatius when I was young. And I see how difficult it is for them to be inspired when they've got $10 million there mm. in the inheritance. Yeah. There's no mountain left to climb. It's so relevant because I had this exact same conversation with my daughter oh, last night. Oh, wow. How old is she? 10. Oh, wow. Isla. Mm -hmm. She... Beautiful name. Keeps bringing her lunch home <laughs> every night, every day, sorry. Yeah, you know, when she comes home from school, mm. she's not eating her lunch. And so, and her response last night was, well, I don't like it. Mm. Um, so, I'm not eating it. And so, I picked up the lunch and I threw it in the bin. And I said to her, not, not that money is the issue here. But there's about $4 that we just threw down the drain. So I'm going to take out this $5 note and I'm going to throw that in the bin as well. Oh. And she said, what are you throwing that away for? I was like, well, you did it. So why can't I? Ooh. What an experience. Yeah. What a moment. And so, and the look on her face. I said, so every morning, your mother and I wake up in the morning and, and we make your lunch for school that day. Mm. Only for you to bring it home. So we sacrifice our morning or an element of our morning for you, mm. for you to bring it home. So here's something that you can do is that you can wash all your lunch box and all the containers, everything for yourself now mm. and prepare it for us in the morning. Better yet, you can make your own lunch tomorrow morning. What happened? She went to make her own lunch this morning. Okay, question. Yeah. Did you take the five dollars out of the bin? Yes, I did. Okay, thank God. You know what happened? Oh, that was so suspenseful. Yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> God, that was crazy. Yeah. Okay, no, I would never. Yeah, yeah I was going. I was going. That just goes against <laughs> all the ethnic, all the mothers out there. What is he doing? What yeah, the hell? Don't throw money away. No, no, no. But wow, what a lesson. Yeah. So it, wow, the, the lesson was this wow. this expectation and entitlement that yeah. she has. Yeah. I am struggling with it every day. I am too. But man. I'm actually putting my foot down more and more often now. Yeah. And as they get older, my children got ten. They're ten and eight. I'm really. Uh, it's letting go of the rope almost. Yeah. You know, you're on your own. Yeah. To an extent. Well, I, I the best metaphor I ever heard for parenting was, your kids, they want to go on the roller coaster, but they want the security belt. Yeah. 
Correct. Right? They want that. Absolutely. They they pretend they don't want it, but they want it. Mm. So it's it's interesting. It's 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 Absolutely. hard, man. It's, it is. Uh, yeah. Mm. Sorry, I told you we these. Aren't yeah, I know. Three yeah, okay. three people that you can invite for dinner. Who would they be? Darren Brown. Darren Brown. A magician from the UK. Ah, okay. Yes. I uh, love him. He's the one that showed me that you can take a really boring, shitty piece of magic and turn it into the most amazing thing you've ever seen. So Darren Brown, A, number one. Number two. Oh, this is so hard. Dead or alive just doesn't matter. No. I'd love to have Chang Canasta. Who's uh, uh, the the magician that inspired Darren Brown? Who's now dead? I'd love to have him too. So being able to have the master and the student in the same oh damn epic, and then the third person to mix it up and not have all magicians. I'd have my grandfather that I've never met, my mum's dad, because in my family he's like a hero, and I've heard so many stories about him. So I'd love to have him at the table, because I really believe I got passed down some of the things that he had mm. yeah and I'd like to thank him because I feel like a big part of me is him yeah so powerful <laughs> what's some of the best advice that you've ever received it would have to do with money management I'm I feel free nowadays because I don't worry about money I didn't realize how much money burdened me. Mm. And I didn't get taught how to invest when I was young. Mm. My mom and dad didn't know how to invest. My mom and dad buried money in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah like typical. no joke, man. Yeah, wow. They buried money. So if anyone had a shovel, we would, yeah. So I, my parents didn't know how to invest. Uh, they worked their ass off for money and then the money took a holiday. The money was in Hawaii every day, sunbathing, underground, right? <laughs> and so I've learned how to make money work for me. Yeah. So I learned how to invest in my early 20s, uh, I, my Uncle Carr, right? Yeah. He taught me how to invest. He taught me how to take your hard-earned money, put it aside, create buckets in your account, put money aside for tax. Don't be surprised by that monster. And so my whole life, I've learned how to invest. You know, ETFs, you know, yeah. invest, don't go high risk, you know, even though, you know, crypto is really interesting. But it's just, I've done that for a long time mm -hmm. now. So I've been able to see the compounding interest, the power of compounding interest in the last 15 years, right? More, more recently, but it's just, so I'm not, I don't feel trapped. Mm. Naval says this, first of all, people play the money game. And the money game is when, oh, this job makes $10,000 more, I'll go to that job. Oh, that job pays 15, I'll go to that job. So people play the money game, then they play the status game. Oh, I've got these pair of shoes, you don't? Oh, that means I'm better than you. So you play the status game. But he goes, ultimately, we just want to get out of playing games. Mm. And it feels refreshing not playing the money game so intensely. Mm. Being more free from it. Yeah, I agree. So financial literacy. Yeah. Get five books on investing. Charlie Munger. Read his book. The Mental Models. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Get yeah. the books. Read yeah. it. Keep it simple. If there's one area that should be boring in your life, it's investing. Yeah. I agree. Should be the non-sexiest thing you've ever done in your life. Yeah. Automate it. But it works. I did the same, yeah. Yeah, well done. <laughs> if you had access to a time machine, mm -hmm. where would you go? Oh, man. Where would, medieval period. Oh, 
That's cool. Yeah, dude. Yeah, medieval period. Scary. That would be amazing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely scary. Yeah, I'd be dead so fast, man. I'd be dead so fast. Yeah, yeah. so fast. But probably, be, not the, probably not the smartest choice. It'd be so cool though to be the, in the the halls of the great kings. Yeah, and just oh man, I love it. I'm just rewatching the Lord of the Rings series. Oh yeah. If only night elves were real. Yeah. Mm, such a cool class of race of people. If you had one superhero power, what would it be? Well, sorry, if you could have one superhero power, what would it be? Oh, man, wow. <laughs> this is super hard. Uh, I would, I think it would have to be very cheesy, but I'd like to fly. Yeah. Just to feel free. It's a typical response. What an amazing <laughs> feeling if you could just fly. Yeah. So you want to keep that answer then? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just going to keep that. Yeah. Okay. Lock and D. <laughs> lock and D. Yeah, lock and D. <laughs> now, flying would be great. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah. We, I always thought teleportation would be better if you want to get somewhere though. Is a flying to- Shit. Yeah. As if I didn't think of that. <laughs> That would that would just I would be able to keynote anywhere in the world. <laughs> that's what but I'm, I'm kind of doing that right now in my garage. Yeah, well, that's true. I'm doing that virtually right now. Yeah. But that's yeah. I retract D and I'll go with A. <laughs> Teleportation easily influenced event. Yeah, yeah. That's actually pretty cool. I mean, because I immediately went to reading minds. Yeah, I mean, that's what I pretend to do on stage. Yeah, well, yeah. But then I don't want to read your mind. I don't want to read the minds of everyone around me. I don't want to no, read minds. There's enough going on. It's in a my burden. Yeah. yeah. Imagine how. Oh, that, yeah. Have an anxiety attack. Teleportation. La- la- last one. <laughs> and you might not have prepared this because I actually didn't text you it. What's your best dad joke? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, there was a zoo. Mm-hmm. There was only one animal. It was a dog. It was a shit zoo. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the shit zoos. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, me too. My, yeah, that that is probably the best I could muster. I've, I've said it to my son. Nothing, <laughs> nothing. And I was like, uh, wow, that's offensive. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, yes, no. My uh, business partner has a shit zoo. Okay. Um, the dog in the yeah. literal terms, and the thing just barks in the Zoom calls every uh, single day. What's, what's your best dad joke? And then we end on that. Oh, I, I've I've had a few. I've said the I said a few. I've got to come up with a new one. All right, I'll, no, I'll say a new one today. Yeah. Okay. If you, I mean, how do you how do you get an elephant into a refrigerator? How? Open the door, push the elephant <laughs> in, close the door. <laughs> That's good. You, I was I, that was good. That was really good. Well, how do you get a giraffe into the refrigerator? You open the door and you push it in? No. You open the door, take the elephant out, push, <laughs> pu- push the giraffe in. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, oh, wow, that's brilliant. good. I, did, I, I was so worried I wasn't going to laugh authentically and I'd have to pretend to go. <laughs> uh, animal, animal jokes. Very good. Thank uh, you so much pleasure, for man. your time today. What's next for Vin? What, what, where are you going? You're going back to America? You, yeah, what's the- I, I've got two tours planned next year. Very good. So I've, uh, I, I've, because I've said to my wife, I, I almost was just going to not travel anymore, but there's a part of me that still wants to fly. Mm. And I don't want to be in a cage. Yeah. So I want to do a couple of tours next year in the US, but I will live in Adelaide ultimately. I just want to be out of tour a couple of months of the year and then come home. 
Well, we're very lucky to have you. And thank you mm. for everything that you're doing. Obviously, you're changing people's lives every day, both thank you, in South Australia and Australia and the world. Keep up the good work and, and, and really appreciate everything that you do. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thank you, guys. Take care. All the best. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys, all the best. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.